Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina Thursday morning, August 24, 843-661-0937 is the number. Good morning. No shot, no shot, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal <laughs> Rev of Radio. Good morning. Well, uh, this radio show is famous for its nicknames, uh, except the host. The host has no O nicknames because he's so stellar. Hmm. And fearless, <laughs> right. and informative, yeah, and constructive to debate <laughs> in American uh, civil discourse. He's the one that assigns the nicknames and has yet to assign one to himself. Okay, I know the answer to this, Rev. Did you watch the debate last night? Did not. You Braves lover, you. Well, it was. Yeah. Now listen, how dare they? If you're a Braves fan and you watch the game, you know this was the All Star Commentator Night. In other words, it was Jeff Francoeur, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, and Chipper Jones calling the game in the booth. So. How can you turn away from that if you're a Braves fan? So can't believe they they scheduled those the same the, night as the debate. The gall of those who have a desire to run the country to right. get crossed up with the Braves. Right. right? right. The, the gall of those to do that. Josh, did you watch the debate? Bits and pieces. Bits and pieces. I knew that would be the answer, and I get it. And how about um, you, I Mr. Watched, preparing for the I show? I watched nearly every second of the debate. Okay. I was actually multitasking, trying to keep up with Tucker and Trump simultaneously trying to watch the debate. Now, I want to go back to your point, because I think that's valid. At times, people have to really understand what's important. I'll give you a quick story. Back in my younger days, not so much younger, um, <laughs> not as young as I wish, I drank too much at a buddy's daughter's wedding. Far too much. To the point that my wife got about as angry with me as she's ever been. And the next morning, because she knew I was in no state that night to have a constructive conversation about my my behavior on my good friend's daughter's um, wedding. And I, my, my response was similar to yours, Rev. It's not my fault. There was no question I lost control. There was no question I was not on my best behavior. But his daughter got married the day South Carolina played Georgia. <laughs> well, there you go. And we had to travel out of town, stay in a fancy hotel. I found a bar that had a television, and it's the game that the Gamecocks upset Georgia and Athens. Unexpectedly upset the Gamecocks and Athens, and I got a level with you. I went to that bar with the intent to drink a beer or two, watch my Gamecocks be behind by three touchdowns at halftime, and lose by 40. Georgia was a top-10 team. Naturally, Gamecocks were not. Um, didn't go that way. Next thing I know, it's halftime. We're in a barn burner. It's end of the third quarter. We're in a barn burner. You know what my natural inclinations to do? Revert to my days gone by. So give me another beer. And another and another and another and another. So, so I am well aware of, of, of how at times it can be not really your fault that you let your guard down and we're not on your best behavior. See, people would expect Rev to watch the debate because he's got this prominent position of influence oh, yeah. and power and authority. Oh, oh, yeah. And at times he doesn't take that as seriously. <laughs> And he has the luxury of not having to take it as seriously because he knows I do. That's right. um, That's but, exactly. but I just, I just want to I want to commiserate with you mm -hmm. that there is a there's been a moment in my life that I did something similar to you let my guard. You're down. comparing those two things. I, I did. Okay. And, just and checking. I, and I, I I sent him a text the next day. I might have been the next the day after the next day, and it was similar to Forrest Gump. Sorry, I had a fight at your Black Panther party. <laughs> Sorry, I got as drunk as I did at your daughter's wedding. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was very similar in nature. And he said, I had no idea. But but the people that hosted the party said one guy was anyway, we'll just we'll, we'll just we'll leave it there. Eight four three Funny six comparison. six one oh nine three seven. Let's get your initial thoughts then. You did watch it. Well, let me know. 
Any standouts? At times any it looked like an eight car pile up at Talladega. <laughs> I mean, it did. <laughs> wow. But but at other times, I mean, it was it was interesting to me. The the lines of the night, and I mean, I don't think anybody failed miserably. I think Hutchinson, Christie, and Pence look like Sears in an Amazon world. <laughs> I mean, that, they just do. I'm yeah. sorry, Josh yeah. is 25. He's nodding his head. They're good, decent men. I mean, they've had a stellar political career. Um, but they just look outdated. They look like this time their time has passed them by. I thought Nikki did better than I expected. I thought Nikki held her own. I really do. Um, she stayed out of the girl, go, girl, go notion. I think Nikki hurts herself when she goes down that road. You know, uh, she did it one time with Margaret Thatcher. You know, you want something to talk about, send a man, you want something to done, send a woman. Um, there's just not, Republicans don't like identity politics. And when Nikki starts that go, girl, go, I just think it turns a lot of people off. Tim was inspirational, as you would expect him to be. I don't think he hurt himself. Um, he parred about every hole. Um, Ramaswamy failed at times, succeeded at other times. You would expect that. He's a 37-year-old political novice. He had his bright moments. He had his his, his um you know his less than stellar uh, moments. The one thing, and I, I wrote a note this morning. The one thing R- Ramaswamy said. I mean, if you ask me what. The, the, the line or two of the debate are, Ramaswamy said as clearly and emphatically as you can that no more money for Ukraine and climate change is a hoax. But he didn't beat around the bush. He didn't say, you know, well, let's talk about this for a second or two or three. He said no more money for Ukraine and climate change is a hoax. That was, but th- those are important moments because he's going to be a central figure if he decides to, whether it's now or or in a bit, he's going to be a central figure to this party. And the, the one thing that I felt was a bit odd is when Ramaswamy basically said no more money for Ukraine and some of the other you know opponents said, you're naive, you're ill-informed, you're not up for the, you, you don't understand foreign policy. I think he missed an opportunity to say, maybe I don't. Maybe you're right. Maybe my inexperience will um, cause trouble in the long run. But certainly you're not defending the foreign policy of the United States of America for the past 40 years. I mean, surely that isn't where you land. But I understand that you disagree with with, with my belief of, you know, no more money for Ukraine and let's um, let's secure the border with military personnel that we could or funding that we could be um, spending on our southern border in Maui. Let's take care of Americans and then we'll worry about some of the prominent places around the world that we need to be engaged for whatever reason. But, but I just think he could have said the next part of the answer was when, when Haley said you have no foreign policy experience is obvious. And Chris Christie said, you're kind of a, um, you're, you you remind me of a snake oil salesman. You're not a serious man. I think his response should have been, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm a political novice and maybe foreign policy is far more complicated than I understand, but certainly nobody on this stage is going to defend the last 40 years of American foreign policy and diplomacy. Really? I just think he missed that opportunity, but but I just think with with, with clarity, and with 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 with, with an emphatic um, confidence, he said no more money for Ukraine, and climate change is a hoax. That ain't dancing around the edges. And right now, I just think the Republican base wants to hear somebody say something to them that they trust, they believe in. And, and I think, you know, um, I mean, I think him going after everybody on the stage is bought. I mean, that was a bad moment. Everybody on that stage is not bought. Only half of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think when Nikki came after Vivek about, you know, his lack of experience in foreign policy, 
He said, I'm sure if things don't work out, you'll be on the Raytheon and um and yeah some of the one other um uh, not McDonald Douglas it was on two two of the defense contractors I'm sure you'll be on their board um sooner sooner than later the big winner's Trump I mean he's the big winner it's obviously made the right decision by not going to the debate um he has a commanding lead in the primary um it was a it was a kind of kind of a race for second place I'm not saying he secured the nomination I think one of the interesting questions and realities and drew mckissick and robert kahaley are scheduled to be with us this morning uh both are traveling so i don't want to make any ironclad guarantees but i think robert will be with us at about 8 30 ish we think drew will be with us at around eight o'clock but once again um they are on site i would imagine in milwaukee um doing what it is they do around um around the debate uh, at times at eight car pile up in daytona at other times th- th- there were moments that you saw contrasting views of one candidate and another. Um, I think Vivek's probably best soundbite is, you know, when Christie said, we can't normalize this craziness that Trump has ushered in to the political era. And, you know, if his campaign's about vengeance and grievances, and then, you know, Vivek said, that that's pretty rich from you. Your entire campaign is about grievances and vengeance. But yet, you know, you're you're, you're accusing <laughs> Trump of, and that would have probably been his, you know, his best um, zinger. I served with Jack Kennedy, yeah. you know, or there you go again, or one of those moments. But the big winner, I think, is Donald Trump. I think, you know, once again, by Trump not going there, DeSantis was solid. I mean, DeSantis was two for four with two singles, no strikeouts, didn't make an air in the field, but but he didn't do anything to really uh, launch him forward with with any momentum or energy. Um, the one thing I think Ramaswamy did, and I don't think you can understate this, Ramaswamy introduced himself to a lot of America last night. It was this crazy guy in the middle. I mean, you know, our listeners are, are far more familiar. The Fox News viewer are far more familiar. But it was a larger audience. I mean, there were probably three or four million more people last night watching Fox than normally, and most of those people know very little of Vivek Ramaswamy. So here, here's what I'll say, Rev, when it comes to Ramaswamy. How many Republicans believe we're wasting money in Ukraine? And how many Republicans believe climate change is a hoax? I don't know the answer to that. I don't have any idea what the answer to that is. I think he's on the right side of both of those issues. But as a percentage of who is watching the debate, who votes in Republican primaries, I don't know. So we'll find out as some of the polling, some of the, uh, some of the real-time polling. I mean, you got to be careful about some of these online polls. Remember, Trump would always say, we won by, you know, this percentage and that. I mean, it's in real time. And I think we've got to digest some of what happened last night. I think Nikki Haley had a single and a double. DeSantis had two singles. Uh, Ramaswamy stood out, good and bad. Um, Pence, Hutchinson, Christie looked like Sears in an Amazon world. Tim Scott, I don't think, helped himself nor hurt himself. Um, Bergam is Bergam. I think he's an interesting guy with interesting ideas. Who? But, uh, yeah, there you go. That's exactly, that's the answer that I think most people, um, <laughs> would, would, would kind of land on when it comes to, am I missing anybody? Uh, well, that, that's well, kinda... just for, just from, from, from being outside and not watching the debate, but follow along on Twitter a little bit when I was watching the baseball game. Um, those are the names I saw and the names I didn't see stuck out to me. So I saw Ramaswamy getting a lot of Twitter comment commentary. But he's a Twitter candidate. Yeah. I mean, he's a soundbot machine. Uh, Nikki Haley was getting uh, responses to things she was saying. Nikki acquitted herself well. Chris Christie was getting a little. Um, 
What I didn't see and noticeably absent for me just watching the Twitter conversation, which is nothing scientific, obviously. It has to do with who I follow and, and that sort of thing. But uh, I didn't see um, Tim Scott, and I didn't see Ron DeSantis. Well, I mean, two singles. Yep. They don't make the headlines. The guy that hits two singles doesn't make the headlines. And somebody had to go two for four with two home runs. I mean, to become a legitimate threat to Trump's inevitable nomination, somebody had to swing for the fence and connect a couple of times, and I just don't think anybody anybody did that. I did peek over at the Tucker Carlson's Twitter just to see how many people had viewed. Like 70 million yeah, people. And this was like at the start of the, the Fox debate, there was 20 million views on that on the Trump I think at the 39-minute mark, there were 70 million impressions. <laughs> wow. That's insane. Um, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Verd in Marlboro County this morning. Hey, Verd. Good morning. A long night and a long drive back from Charleston. Uh, yeah, can't I agree with you? Uh, I watched the uh, interview, every minute of it, and uh, last night President Trump was the big winner. Tucker Carlson just did a fantastic job. The questions that he had for President Trump, I mean, it, it was just well organized. Uh, did not watch a minute of the debate other than the clips I've been watching uh, since I got home last night. and. Uh, yeah, it appears like there's about four of those people that can probably go on to the House. Uh, just just look, not someone that watched the debate, but just looking at the different reviews of the people that did pretty good. Uh, Tim and Nikki and DeSantos and Ramaswamy. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I sort of feel like they, basically there's a, a tie between all of them. One of them might have been a little bit better than the other one, just looking at the recaps. And like I said, I did not watch the debate. But uh, President Trump hit it out of the ballpark again. Uh I've seen him four times since January, three times in person, and every speech that he has given, it has been a a home run or a grand slam. He's just got a, he's got it down on this policy and where he wants to take America, and uh, very little bits on uh, 2020. And the more he leaves that alone, the better off we are. But most of the four speeches, five speeches now, I've heard him say uh, it's been mostly about policy and where he intends to take the country and. Uh, yeah, uh, two two big winners last night, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson and, of course, President Trump. And that's my take, Kim. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate it, my man. Safe travels. And uh, Verd's one of, the, uh, one of the foot soldiers and one of the guys to be commended for how hard he works on behalf of the Republican Party in South Carolina. We'll say this. Uh, it, 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 it's interesting to me. I mean, the most interesting moment of the night, Twitter, Tucker, Trump, debate, eight-car pileup at Daytona, or... Uh, a semi-organized debate of ideas and policies. And somebody said, you know, somebody, I was on a text thread last night with some of my political friends, and they were talking about this is out of control. I said, man, it's a, it's a, it's an eight-man food fight. I mean, the women are there. I'm saying literally, figuratively, not not literally, but but everybody's trying to get a jab in. And you know with eight men or eight candidates on the stage, um, you know, you got you to gotta find your opportunities there, and, and you got to take a swing when the opportunity is given. But, but the, the most interesting said last night, and I just – I mean, it's like a movie. Tucker asked Trump, do you fear for your life? Do, do, do you think if they don't put you in prison, they'll kill you? Mm. That's Trump, a pretty blunt question. Trump looked at him like, damn. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but you know how Trump is? He's ready for about anything. He said, well, I mean, they're, they're savage animals. I mean, they're, they're savage animals. These people who have control and and, you know, will do anything to stay in control. They are savage animals. But the look on Trump's face was like, been asked a lot of things. I don't know if I've ever been asked. Um, but but is that good. appropriate? Is that so far out there 
that we should be embarrassed as part of our discourse. Uh, I mean, who, know, who of us hasn't thought that? Well, I mean, of course we've thought that. How many people believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone? <laughs> you know, it, it's less today than it was 25 years ago. I can assure you of that. I mean, I've got very mild-mannered, even-keeled friends of mine who will now revisit that conversation about JFK. And most kind of kind of took the warm report at his word. You know what I mean? But but now, I got a buddy of mine in particular. He's funny. He's got a real good sense of humor. And we were talking about something ah, a few months back, and something came up about RFK Jr. and JFK. And and I said, hey, man, I mean, that, that that's a hell of a shot. I mean, you know, from a book depository <laughs> with a bolt-action rifle. And, and my friend looked at me and said, and the car was moving. And the car was moving away from him. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. that, that. those conversations that you had with yourself, you, you feel a, a little bit liberated now to have them with, with everybody else. When you, when you would always suspect, how did all that happen the way they say it happened? I mean, is that guy really that good a shot? You know, and then Jack Ruby killed. I mean, it's like a movie scene. And, and, but, but before you'd look in the mirror and have that conversation with yourself, but there's no way you'd put your, you know, your reputation and, and social standing uh, in question by having that conversation with somebody else. In other words, if Dave Baker and I didn't know one another that well, we were acquaintances with one another, and we were uh, having a beer at a bar, and I said, Ray, you think JFK, you think Lee Harvey Oswald did alone? Ray would say, of course he did. You read the Warren Report. I mean, that's over with. And, and now Ray would probably say, what you think? <laughs> That's right. What, what, what do you think? Mm. I mean, the government's opened that door. Yeah. Uh, they, they've left themselves exposed. And when Tucker says basically, I mean, not basically, he said verbatim, do you fear that they'll kill you? I, I, my mind immediately went back, well, they killed JFK. I can say that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the government had a hand in killing JFK. Call me crazy. Take me off the air. Um, send, send some letter for the FCC. Said you can't say that over the air. I think the federal government had a hand in killing JFK. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. <laughs> so was it an eight-car pileup at Daytona, or was it um, It was sporadic? I mean, there, there was some constructive debate, but but I go back to when you're having a debate, and the it's, it's almost like the opening round at Wimbledon. I mean, you don't pay much attention to uh, uh, Jokovic. What's his name? Jokovic. Jokovic. Yeah, the guy that didn't take the shot. That's why I like. I'm talking about him, but when you when you he's playing the number 247 player in the world, you, you don't pay much attention to that. You just don't. I mean, it's not as interesting because you don't expect him to have you know a tough time winning that match. So when you watch the debate last night, you you, you suspect. I mean, I, I I don't know how many people watched that debate last night, wondering who's auditioning to be in a potential Trump administration. Um, I don't know how you go on that stage last night. I'm a former candidate. I've debated uh, a lot. I kind of debate every day with myself and Rev and Josh and some of our some of our listeners. I've enjoyed debates, but I still enjoy the um, the debate, the disagreement, the uh, the civil discourse. Uncivil uh, doesn't matter to me. Uncivil. I mean, we can go either way you want to go. But um, but but I wonder how demotivating it is to walk on a stage knowing you're 40 or 50 or 60 points behind a front runner. I, I, that's odd. I mean, I don't know that we've ever seen that many people that far behind on the debate stage trying to, in essence, have that breakthrough moment and make a name for themselves. Is it disheartening? Is it demoralizing? Um, are you going through the motions? I don't know. I don't have any idea. 
But I do know it's odd for the guy that's 40 points ahead to not be there and everybody else fighting for the scraps left over. And, and I'm thinking about, okay, the breakthrough moment. That's what I want to ask Robert tonight, the breakthrough moment. The first thing I want to know from Robert and, and Drew, and I don't know the answer to this. I think I know, but I'm not sure I know. Who was in the arena? I mean, the venue, who was there? Um, the boos and, the, and the, the cheers were coming from whom? Now, historically, I know this to be true. Don't know it to be true about last night. It had nothing to do with that. But in the debates that I've attended and participated in, those who paid money had the privileged seating. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Guess who sits on the 50 at Death Valley or williams Bryce? Those who make the largest contributions to the athletics department or or the university um, or who've done it, you know, for 100 years and they're beginning to change some of those models now that um, you can kind of jump to the front of the line if you give enough money to Carolina or Clemson. Um, but historically, it's been, you know, those who grease the skid, those who pay the money to make sure these debates happen. The RNC is funded. Um, I want to know that. I, that. That's important to me because it was uh, it was a mixed bag on, on you know when Vivek got cheers and when Vivek got booed and when Nikki got cheered and when Nikki um, got booed. It's pretty obvious to me that Nikki has landed, and and it's probably smart on her part. Nikki has decided I can't be both. I mean, I can't be the second choice of Trump voters and someone the establishment takes seriously. And she's decided that her best path forward is somebody the establishment takes seriously. It's about foreign policy. It's about, you know, uh, deficit spending. It's about education and infrastructure. It'd be some of the historic and, and traditional issues that Republicans care deeply about. And, and I think Nikki may have, it, it would be interesting, and I don't know the answer to this. Um, it would be interesting to know how many were trying to go down that road until Ramaswamy showed up. I mean, I think there was an attempt by, it's a little bit like, I'll tell you what's happened to DeSantis. I mean, it dawned on me last night. Should have gotten to this quicker. DeSantis was going to be the alternative to Trump, right? I'm tired right. of the chaos. I'm tired of the craziness. I'm tired of the indictments. I'm tired of the impeachments. I'm for America I'm first. all the Trump without the yeah, craziness. I, exactly. I mean, I, I'm for America first, but I'm tired of this craziness, man. I mean, I, Trump not derangement syndrome, Trump fatigue syndrome. Got no problem with Trump. Who said yesterday on this show, somebody called in and said, I wish Trump were president. I wish he weren't running for re-election. I mean, I think that was the DeSantis lane. I wish Trump were president. I also wish he weren't running again. Ramaswamy took a lot of that energy. I mean, he, he yeah. became kind of that person. And he's an outsider, too. Well, I mean, and, and you think it, there's a subconscious element here that, that you know, some Trump voters, and, and I think you would be a good example of this, Rev. You feel a certain loyalty. I do. I mean, I called it earlier this week a debt of gratitude. I mean, you feel like, hey, man, if I bail on Trump, I'm not being as loyal as I, I like to feel I am. I like to, people to consider me. I want Ken and Josh to consider me to be a loyal friend. If they have something happen in their lives, they don't have to look for Dave. Dave's going to be there. I think you, I mean, you don't know Trump, but I think you feel that in your bones. It, it's something that kind of steers you toward this debt of gratitude that I have for the guy who's put up with all this mess. Not, not for me exclusively, of course not, but, but because he wants to change a government that I believe gives me a better shake in living the American dream and, and not being prohibited by the government to do X, Y, or Z. Well, DeSantis was clearly going to be that. And it was going to be Trump at 40%, DeSantis at 28%, and everybody else fighting over scraps. And Ramaswamy came in, and Tim Scott came in, 
and that you know that 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 Trump vote, it, the voter that says clearly and emphatically, "I wish Trump were president, but I wish he weren't running again." That was going to be DeSantis's vote, and it was going to be a large number. It was going to be twenty-six or seven percent. It's not forty percent, but it's twenty-six or seven. And I'm telling you guys, if you get to twenty-six percent, and Trump's at forty percent, it's a horse race because you're going to have candidates fall out, and they're not going to Trump. I mean, the 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 one percent Asa Hutchinson has isn't going to Donald Trump under any circumstance. The 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 five percent that Chris Christie has aren't going to Donald Trump. So all of a sudden, the 26% turns into 35, 6, 7%, and you're in a dogfight. I mean, it, that, that was always the DeSantis model, the DeSantis plan. And Ramaswamy comes in at less than 1%. He grows to 5, 6, 7%, and every vote he gained came from Ron DeSantis. I mean, I'm not saying every single vote. Of course, nothing is that exclusive, but... The overwhelming majority support, the, the overwhelming majority of growth in the Ramaswamy campaign, the price has been paid by Ron DeSantis. And I think DeSantis had a solid night last night, but I think he's got to do better than solid. I mean, the National Review is going to cheer him. The mainstream media, you know, friendly to the Republicans are going to cheer him. But what the mainstream media is deciding now is what Republican aren't we afraid of? What Republican comes in and probably doesn't operate under this um, disruption, this change agent, you know, that Trump kind of made so in vogue and popular in uh, in politics? And um, I mean, of course, Ramaswamy's that. I mean, Ramaswamy's a change agent, probably more so than Trump. You know, it would be very interesting to me to find out how many people were for Trump and have changed to Ramaswamy. I know one. I won't call names. Of one of my kids, solidly for Trump until Ramaswamy impressed them for about a month. I nearly said the gender. Impressed them <laughs> for about a month, and now they're solidly on the Ramaswamy. They are as indebted or feel as indebted. They're not as old and mature as our Rev. They don't understand the way the world works like Rev, but they felt that that beholdenness, that they felt that that debt of gratitude to Trump, and and now they're like, no, I like this other guy better. <laughs> I got it. I woke up to a text. Now that you mentioned that, I had actually not remembered. I woke up to a text this morning from my oldest son, who texted long after he knew I was. Your in oldest bed. is how old? He's twenty-seven. Okay, mine's thirty-two. <clears throat> I like Vivek, is mm-hmm. what it said. Okay. I like Vivek from a twenty-seven-year-old college graduate. Uh, you know, I, I just think he's resonating with an audience. And he said something last night. I'll tell you something else. Vivek said that that was interesting. But because the, the only people, I mean, when I say Christy, Aza Hutchinson, and, and Mike Pence were Sears in an Amazon world, they regurgitate these talking points that have been poll tested by think tanks and consultants in nursing homes. We're not going to win elections winning nursing homes. I mean, I think we got to win nursing homes, but we got to win suburbs. We got to win young people. We got to at least not get slaughtered on college campuses. I mean, we can't be, get beat 95 to 5 in college towns. We can't. We can't lose some of these university cities or towns or campuses or areas around campuses 80 to 20%. And Vivek kind of, I mean, he engages those people. But the one thing Vivek said last night that, that really goes back to the disagreement Jeff and I had, when, when Mike Pence said, we can do both. I mean, in essence, he's being, he's accusing Vivek Ramaswamy of being immature 
not understanding how complicated the world around him is, Vivek. I know you're in the biotech business, but you don't understand government. I mean, government can be very complicated, and we can walk and chew gum. We can, um, you know, solidify our investments in Ukraine while uh, securing our southern border. And Ramaswamy says we haven't. I mean, you know, we, we can do a lot of things, but we haven't. And I think when Ramaswamy said basically, and I don't know how you get away with this in a Republican primary until now, when Ramaswamy basically said, save me the morning in America speech, Mr. Vice President, this is a dark day in America. This is a period of concern. And, and it really goes back to the fork in the road that Jeff and I, everything's okay. You know, shining city on a hill. Have you looked at the ballot sheet? Have you looked at the declining middle class? Have you looked at what inflation costs the average American worker? Did you not hear Oliver Anthony's song? Do you not believe that that anthem resonates with about three-quarters of our country? And I think Vivek is on the right side of that. I think Republican voters, as inspired as they like to be, as positive uh, as they like to feel about their country, they accept the realities of today. That, that you know, this the shining city on a hill morning in America, save me that. I mean, that, that, that worked. 25, 30 years ago when we weren't $33 trillion in debt, when inflation hadn't uh, outpaced wages by 75%, when gas was at buck twenty-five a gallon, when the American working class felt they had a, uh, a decent chance to, uh, you know, for one family member to work and the other to work maybe a part-time job, and they could send the kid to college and, and make a better life in a better way. But that's just not the way Americans feel today. So, so you know, I'm not saying that the Republican Party needs to sell a doom and gloom brand. And I don't, I don't know that they need to, uh, you know, try to convince voters how bad America is. But I think you've got to accept the realities of, you know, the shining city on a hill, morning in America mindset that Mike Pence has become so accustomed to making part of his, uh, I get his political strategy. I, I just think Americans feel differently today. I think young Americans in particular feel very different than they historically have felt about the party. I'll give an example, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll take a call here. I shared a text with a friend of mine yesterday. I want to make sure I get these numbers right. This is an unfathomable number, Josh, and I thought of you when, when I read this. Uh, let me make sure I can find it. I don't want to misquote the numbers. And it plays into what Ramaswamy said last night. You ready? Baby boomers, I would be a part of that last year. The baby, baby boomers own and operate businesses. Worth roughly five trillion dollars, that generate on average two hundred eighty thousand dollars a year in taxable income. Let me say that again: baby boomers own and operate businesses worth roughly five trillion dollars, that generate on average two hundred eighty thousand dollars a year in taxable income. Seventy percent of those businesses do not have an interested family member to gift or sell the business to. Number one reason, want to maintain work balance and don't feel very optimistic about the future. That's a staggering statistic. Mm. That is a mind-numbing statistic. Boomers such as myself have accumulated X number of dollars in wealth via the value of the business, the generated business, uh, the revenue a, gener a business generates. And what have we historically done? Pass that along to I mean, the secession plan is, you know, give it or sell it to your kid. Let them build upon that. 70% of those businesses that are worth $5 trillion in the aggregate that generate $280,000 a year in taxable income 
don't have a plan. Don't have a plan on how to transition from now to the future. And I think young people like Josh are looking at our country's future and being honest with themselves and saying, ah, bull or bear, I'm, I hate to say this, but kind of count me on the bear. I ain't buying Mike Pence's Morning in America speech. I think my existence, the rest of my life, is going to be extremely complicated by some of the balance sheet realities that we've created um, for ourselves. Let's go to the phone. Bobby in Hartsville, good morning. Hey, good morning. As someone said yesterday, I, I really enjoyed that vice presidential debate last <laughs> night. It was uh, really good. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about Ken, uh, Pence, he, uh, he doesn't seem to have a, a beef with Trump on anything else except what happened on January 6th. I mean, because uh, time after time he would say the Trump-Pence administration did this and that and the other. So he seems to be real proud of that. Well, what do you make of DeSantis? Uh, they had to pull, it was like pulling teeth trying to get him to answer that question about whether or not Pence did the right thing on January about January 6th. Thank you, Bobby. You appreciate it. He's poll-tested it. I mean, he, he's poll-tested it, and he, he knows in his heart the right answer is Pence did the right thing. But he knows the Republican primary voters are very divided on whether Pence did the right thing or not. And when you're trying to win an election, you, you kind of got that, you got to trust some of the data. I mean, you can't sell your soul to something that you don't believe in, but but when there's some ambiguity or uncertainty, you, you kind of play the hand that gives you the best chance to win. And, and I want to say this, as, as, as much as I like the Trump administration, he, he did Mike Pence wrong. I mean, there's no doubt about that. We can debate the constitutionality or not, but I mean, he just kicked him to the curb. And, and I just think that was a an unfair thing to have happened to Mike Pence. Take a break. Back in just a few. He's not so reluctant today. He's embracing the opportunity to be a fearless leader uh, here here this morning. Post-debate, wake up, Carolina. And never reluctant to speak, by the way. You're right about that. And we are trying to obviously focus on the uh, post-debate analysis or whatever, the best we can do about that. But that was a staggering statistic you talked about, the $5 trillion worth of basically small businesses that are run by people and families and, and small groups, right? Uh, create And they each, on average, create $280,000 in taxable income. And there's not a lot of 70% interest. 70% of the family members don't have an interest in the business. And it reminded me, the reason I thought of that comment last night when Pence said, you know, we can do both. You know, the morning in America. Vivek said, save me the morning in America. This country has issues, serious issues, and it better come up with serious solutions or we're going to inevitably decline this this debate we have and that number kind of reflects mm. a, a bearishness amongst young people in america yeah. about where the country is and how they want to live the ballots of their lives let's go to the phone someone's there larry in the pd good morning good morning you know um since the industrial revolution there's only been three generations of workers if you really kind of think about it maybe four if you want to count where we all came from, but, you know, there was a lot of people that, that lived on a farm, a family farm, and they didn't make a lot of money. They basically just grew what they ate, and they lived a very meager existence. We forget how poor most people were 100 years ago, but their children got educated in the public education system, and they were prepared, They their kids were prepared to go work in factories. So you think about the conditions of living on a subsistence farm, you know, you have a drought, you lose 20 pounds over the winter, you know, really, really hard 
situation. And then they went to the to the mines and they went to the the, the early factories and bosses could treat their employees any way they wanted to because their only option was to go back and starve on the farm. And so, you know, people worked under horrible conditions. You know, you had brown lung and all the cancers, and people just died at a very early age and a lot of workplace fatalities. And out of that kind of came the next generation of worker, which Kim would have been our, our grandparents, I guess. And they started working for a standard of living, not just to survive. And so you couldn't work them 14 hours, 16 hours a day, and you couldn't, well, you know, heck, there's an instance where I think there was a workers' rebellion and, and the owner of the factory shot their workers because they were picketing. So those days ended, and it became more of an eight-hour day, a 40-hour type of work week. But, you know, your boss could still treat you pretty bad and tell you you couldn't go to your kid's kindergarten graduation and you couldn't leave early for the Little League game. And you just kind of had to take it because you were working for a, a, a standard of, of living. Then you get our generation... And we kind of worked to create a middle-class existence. We wanted two cars in the garage. We wanted a pool maybe in the backyard. Maybe the wife worked, maybe the wife didn't. And you'd work long hours, and, and you'd start low, and then you'd work your way up and all that. And that was us. But our, our the generations come behind us, they are working for what you said. We had a standard of living. They want a work-life balance. And they're just not willing to do the things that we were willing to do, and they're not willing to put up with the things that we're not. Larry, we got a hard break, top of the hour. I'm sorry. Hold on. Back in just a few. Okay, that disclaimer applies to Reggie. It doesn't apply to me. I still get to say <laughs> what I want to say. And and I felt it interesting. Larry hung on because I think Larry has an interesting um, uh, insight and 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 kind of kind of a um, an opinion about what some of the statistics. And I thought it really fed into what what Reggie's talking about today, but uh, Reggie's in the studio. But I want to go back to Larry because we're talking about I – want, I want to go back and just kind of um, uh, reframe the debate. It's not a debate. It's something uh, that we're dealing with in America today. Um, baby boomers own businesses in the aggregate worth about $5 trillion. Those businesses generate about $280,000 in taxable income on average. 70% of those small businesses – don't really have a succession plan that involves the passing down of that business or the sale of that business, the gifting or sale of that business to a family member. And and, and we're going to talk with Reggie here in just a second. But, but that that's where, when Larry called in, it was explaining this evolution of the workforce in America. Larry, I'll get out of the way and um and let you um kind of opine during during Reggie's uh, segment here this morning because I do think it's timely and, and, and there's some overlap here. Oh, okay. So basically, I was just saying that as, as we've increased our standard of living, our, our workers are demanding more. The problem that we've got is that we've got a workforce now with all three of those generations trying to work together. And so you've got a lot of parents whose kids don't want what they have. But the other problem is, is it's going to be, especially during this particular season of our economy, it's hard to get somebody that can make a small business loan work because the interest rates are going sky high. We've had so much inflation that a lot of people don't have expendable cash. I mean, you know, you want to buy a half-million-dollar business, well, you got to have $100,000 in the bank that you're not depending on for, you know, debt service or future retirement or something. And a lot of people don't have that, especially young people. We, we talk about 
you know, young people not even having a down payment to buy a piece of real estate, how are they going to buy a small business? So not only do they not have anybody in their family that wants it, I don't know who they're going to sell it to. It's going to be a problem. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate you finishing that thought. And full disclosure, good morning, Reggie. How are you? Doing well. And full disclosure, Reggie and I have sat down a couple of times and discussed my life and some of the um, some of the events that I am beginning to prepare for, some of the changes in my life that I am beginning um, to prepare for. Larry, I mean, now, Reggie, you heard Larry's comments. Yep. You heard me read the sure. statistics. Is that relevant in your world? Do you see much of this? Um, is there kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a cookie-cutter model of how to deal with this, but, but it is, I don't want to say it's concerning or alarming, but it's a reality. It, absolutely. So what I see is, is it, I'm going to address kind of two parts of what Larry was bringing up. The, the first part is this, this lack of interest by family members or just lack of skill set sometimes. You know, I mean, my business is one of them. I have two s- successors in my business, but they're people I hired along the way. You know, Lee Carter's been with me. 23 years. Matt's been with us since 2008, you know, 16 years, um, whatever that math is. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, that, you know, I've got family members who my son is in the business, but doesn't really want to end up running the business. And I think that's a a generational thing as well. Uh, You know, I know a lot of hardworking millennials and Gen Z's. Okay. But on average, on average, there is a different mindset, you know, you know, I'm I'm a Gen Xer. I'm the I'm the oldest of the Gen Xers, being born in '65, and and you know, working hard is just in our blood. I think. All right. Now, I'm not saying that Gen Zs and millennials don't work hard, Ken, but um, that work-life balance is real important to them. You know, working on weekends to to make a business go uh, when you can you know, you can have things today. You know, it doesn't quite compute, and it's going to come into some stuff I want to talk about, but it's so give you an example. What you know, and, and my son-in-law and my daughter are, are kind of after my model. You know, they started, they rented, and then they moved up and rented a little bit bigger place. And then they finally bought their starter home. And one day they may move up in size of home. Nowadays, a lot of these young people, you know, as soon as they get a job, they want that three hundred thousand dollar four bedroom house, you know, or the nice neighborhood that you know, does that make sense? Sure so that's, does. that's part of it. I think that's part of it. But it's also sometimes dad's dream is not my dream when I'm a kid. You know, okay, he wants to run a dental practice. That's wonderful. But, you know, I, I want to be an architect. And so there, there's, there, there's, there's, not, there's not this feeling, I think, generationally before. It's like, okay, if dad worked at GM, I've got to work at GM. He's in the coal mine. I'm in the coal mine. If dad's a dentist, of course I'm going to become a dentist. And that still happens. But it's just, I think, less frequent now. But should it be concerning, to Larry's point, because one thing Larry mm-hmm. said that I believe, mm-hmm. so if the kids aren't interested mm-hmm. in the business, mm-hmm. the the business has provided a good life for sure. a lot of yep. people. And as my dad used to say, we all live in this pot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so a lot of folks were living yeah. out of that pot of money. Sure. The kid has no interest in owning the business, running yeah. the business, because he just, in fairness to the kid, he doesn't want to make that big a commitment sure. to his to his work life. Should the business owner be concerned? That's sure. a valuable uh, asset in his life. Absolutely. Should he be concerned about what diminishing value that business may have? Absolutely. And, and he, what he really should be doing is looking at two things, in my opinion. 
Number one, along the way, you need to be monetizing your business for your own retirement. You need to be taking some money out of that business, stick it into that Don't 401. count on the sale of the business alone to get you where you exactly. need to be. Exactly, because it may not be worth as much. It may not be of any interest to somebody at that point in time. So you, know, so you need to, to treat yourself as an employee, pay yourself well enough that you can actually be on the path if the business at the end was worth zero. But at the same time, well before you have the need, you need to work on a succession plan. And sometimes uh, that ends up being a national aggregator. So, for example, one of the biggest thing, uh, movements in the funeral home business is national funeral home corporations that are gobbling up local funeral homes. And you sell, to, you sell your funeral home to that aggregator. Same thing within the veterinary business. So, so there's, there, there are players that way. In my business... That happens a lot. Lots of mergers in my business. Why? Because a $10 billion investment management company that has 100 branches uh, of, of, of their style of doing, doing business is more valuable, maybe to go public someday or whatever, than, than just uh, you know, a, a half a million dollar or a you know, $500,000, excuse me, a $500 million business or whatever. So the point is, that the the uh, for different depending on your business there are ways out, but you really have to make sure you understand what are the drivers of valuation in your industry. You know, I know what they are in mine. I know what they are in a few others, but not most. And so I yeah I see that a lot. Give advice on that. We don't do valuation business valuations, sure. but we know people who do. And understanding what drives that valuation, if it's not going to be within the family, and even is within the family, how do you make sure you get paid you know, without the kids having to live like paupers until they're 58? You know? Reggie, but the one thing that we're sure of, mm-hmm. and I want to I wrap up with this, yeah. the, the, there's a lot of uncertainty in the succession yeah. plan and, and yeah. what, what the mindset of younger workers are juxtaposed to older workers. But the older work, the boomers who built the businesses yep. that are worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 trillion, yep. generate 280 k in taxable yep. income, they worked hard. Absolutely. But they, 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 were, they, they, by and large, became millionaires. Absolutely. What common characteristic would you say mm-hmm. those folks have in common with one another mm-hmm. to create, in the aggregate, that sort of value right. in an economy that generates that sort of income? So, so for business owners, it's... You know, they had a clear, it's not that they had a clarity, they knew exactly what they want to do when they woke up, uh, you know, at 22 or 25 and everything, but they worked their buns off and they, you know, and they were persistent. They didn't let failure throw them off. And, 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 you know, and, and it's not that they got lucky necessarily. Sometimes, I mean, I started my business a little bit, in a sense, lucky. I had been in the military, and a guy, you know, manager took a chance on me to get me into this business. And then five years later, I struck out on my own, you know, and and I and I raided my four hundred one k to make sure I could pay my employees and stuff like that. So they're also willing to take risks, and and that's that's really a big thing. I'm noticing a lot of young people, um, not all, there's, but. They're a little afraid of of taking major risks that will affect their lifestyle or the future, and they're and they're a little afraid of commitment. You see it on the marital side, you know, they're not they don't want to get hitched too quickly. But they you also see it on the business side. They're a little worried. Again, lots of very bold people out there among the Gen Zs and the Millennials. But in aggregate, 
maybe a little less than some of the boomers and Gen Xers as a percentage of the population. So, the, so, so there, there is no. I mean, the millionaire next door. Yeah. I mean, there's a millionaire. There, there are a lot of ways to get there. Yeah. Is the point you're trying yeah. to make? Absolutely, and and business historically, but it's interesting. You know, most people think, okay, to be a millionaire, I either have to have a really high paying job. Uh, you know, where you know, I'm, I make it to C, you know, chief operating officer. Or I make it a CFO, or I have to be in a, in a in a career that pays me hundreds of thousands of dollars, or I have to win the lottery, you know, or I have to inherit it. And actually, that's not true. You, you can read the the book, The Millionaire Next Door, and see it, but that book is now it's it's got some age on it. And so many people, many of our listeners are familiar with Dave Ramsey, and he recently did a study of uh, back. Then the data is from 2017 and 2018, so it's not fresh, fresh, but it's fresh enough. And he interviewed 10,000 millionaires to find out what's the commonality. And here's the thing. Most of them didn't inherit the money. Most of it just, it was just consistent investing. It's the stuff that you can do. And if you don't mind, I'm going to throw out a few stats as I wrap up here. Sure, okay? sure. And I appreciate, you know, putting the Larry thing here. Oh, I always enjoy he- hearing Larry. He's, he's, a, he's a very sage voice in your, on your show. Um, so eight out of 10 millionaires invested in their company's 401k. Okay, so eight out of 10 millionaires did that, all right? Three out of four millionaires said, again, this is 75% of 10,000 people, said that regular consistent investing over a long period of time led to success. And in fact, out of those eight or 10 millionaires that put money into uh, the 401k, three out of four also put money up outside of their 401k. All right. Now, here's the thing. How many did not receive an inheritance? You know, when we think millionaires, besides the inheritance, we often think of, okay, they got to be a famous ball player or they got, you know, they got, you know, they, you know, whatever, some influencer on TikTok, ooh. Lead know, singer what, for Van Halen. Exactly. <laughs> but 79% of millionaires didn't receive an inheritance, nor are they in anything like that. So it's just interesting. In fact, the bottom line is, is most are made, not born. In fact, I'm going to, I don't have this memorized here. 31% of millionaires af- averaged 100000 a year or more over their career. In other words, the majority never even made $100,000. So again, they just put money up. Most of them uh, still use a grocery list when they go sh- when they go shopping. Most of them still clip coupons. And and here's the thing, I, I I'll wrap up on this because this should be this should be exciting especially to our younger listeners who may be a little mad at me for picking on Gen Zs this morning or, or Gen Xs, you know, I mean or millennials is because they've got time they, if they put money away in a 401k, be relatively aggressive with it and be consistent, they've got a good shot at the American dream still. Um, I mean, listen to these. T- these are the top five careers. And I'm going to end on number three because it's more surprising. So the number one career, engineer. That's probably they got the numbers kind of figured out, I guess. Okay. You know, our engineer friends. Number two career, accountant, CPA. Again, they got the kind of the numbers figured out. Number four, management. Yeah, whatever that exactly means, but some sort of level of management. So that I can understand. You got to keep in mind, only 15% of millionaires were in the C-suite. So, yeah, that's that's not necessarily. The number five is attorney. Ah, that, I could see that. All right. You know, uh, especially when they become, well, now we won't go to politicians. But anyway, <laughs> number three career, in other words, the third most prevalent career out of 10,000 millionaires was teacher. Who would have thought that? But what do hmm. they do? 
they worked hard. They put money away in, in, in some sort of savings plan. Maybe they were married to somebody. I mean, they didn't get to that level of details. So the point is, and this is broadly consistent, the millionaire next door talked about about 80 plus percent of millionaires are self-made, first generation millionaires. Most of us tend to think of millionaires as, oh, they, you know, they inherited its, its generational wealth. No, there's people becoming rich and poor all the time. Some people make a million and then they, they lose it and then they make it again. But here's the good news for people out there, rank and file, working hard every day. Your, your listeners can, is they can sit back and go, okay, if I work hard, put away as much as I can in my 401k, and, you know, I've got a shot at this, too, so I'll close there. Okay. How does someone – I mean, obviously, there's a strategy that has to be employed. Sure. You, you, you want to be a partner in helping someone yep. create that strategy. How does that conversation begin? Sure. 843-292-9997 or check us out at armstrongwealth.com first if you'd like. Thank you, sir. For right. ex- we owe him extra money, Rev. I mean, he did an extended <laughs> version. Double my zero over, salary. Overtime <laughs> pay for Reggie Armstrong. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. 843-661-0937. Trying to make heads or tails of the – GOP vice presidential debate or trial. Let's call it a trial yesterday. Vice presidential debate. I've read a lot on Twitter this morning. It seems to me some believe it was an eight-car pileup at Daytona. Others believe that this person scored a point here. This person may have scored a point there. At the end of the day, to me, the biggest winner is Donald Trump because nobody had clearly a breakout performance. I mean, there were scored uh, points scored by several candidates and several um, different places. I said this morning, and uh, and I'll stick with this, the person that introduced himself for the first time ever to a larger audience than normal was Vivek Ramaswamy. I would be very interested to see how many of those who didn't know much about this guy, what they think of him today. The majority of GOP voters know Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, um, Ron DeSantis, obviously Donald Trump. Ramaswamy was the um, kind of kind of the novelty, the, the the different sort of candidate in in last night's debate, and I don't have any idea what what some of the polling will reflect in relation to his performance um, last night. I mean, it was um, I mean, it was a standout performance. Was it standout good or standout bad? Um, we'll see as we as we progress. Great Television senior national editor, White House correspondent John Decker is with us. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Kent. I am in Milwaukee. I was at the debate last night. I was in the spin room last night. Uh, so uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you think various candidates did, and I'll, I'll give you mine as well. Well, John, I just think to me, um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's an inevitable nomination because I think that's unfair. There's a lot of legalities out there that Trump is dealing with. But, but I felt that I felt somebody like Ron DeSantis had to have a breakout moment, had to have a two-home run game, and he had a couple of singles. He didn't make an error. But but to me, the biggest winner of the debate last night was probably Donald Trump by not being there and nobody nobody really landing that aggressive an attack on on what his issues are and uh, and him as the uh, the proverbial front runner. That's kind of my take. Now, now once again, we could get in the weeds. I think Nikki Haley had a solid night. I really believe that Nikki acquitted herself well. Um, I think Tim Scott had a single here, a single there. Um, the most complicated hand, and I want to get your take on this because you're an old handed. The most complicated hand anybody's trying to play is Ron DeSantis. I mean, he's trying to find. It's obvious what Chris Christie's lane is. 
It's obvious what Mike Pence's lane is. It's obvious what Ramaswamy's lane is. I'm just trying to, as a former candidate, figure out where DeSantis goes to, to gain traction. And there's just not a lot of places to go for for Ron DeSantis. That's kind of my take. You say what, John? Oh, I agree with you. You'll, you noticed last night very few candidates went after Ron DeSantis in any way. They ignored Ron DeSantis, really. Uh, and that tells me, remember, these are, for the most part, and there are exceptions to the rule. Vivek Ramaswamy is an exception to this rule. But for the most part, everybody on that debate stage last night, professional politicians, it tells me a lot when a professional politician ignores the person who's in second place. And that's what they did last night with Ron DeSantis. He did not have a good night for that reason. And his poll numbers are not going to go up. And he's not going to, based upon that performance last night, in my opinion, narrow the gap with Donald Trump. And that's his goal, to narrow that gap, make it a two-person race. Uh, he did not have a good night in that regard. And as for the two South Carolinians in the race, I agree with you. Nikki Haley did have a good performance, especially when the debate turned to foreign policy. She was hitting homers, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Tim Scott, he talked a lot in platitudes, not a lot of detail from him. Uh, and I, I think that hurts him because it was an opportunity for him to introduce himself to voters outside of South Carolina and outside of Iowa. They've, they've seen him. They've heard him outside of New Hampshire, uh, but to the rest of the country. And I, I personally don't think he made that great of a good first impression for people who are not familiar with Tim Scott. John, the one the one thing I do believe I can add to the debate is an understanding. Having been a former candidate growing up in rural South Carolina, I do think I understand the fundamentals of America first. Where this populist energy was founded, where it's at, at its at its most intense, what effect it's having on on the party moving forward. And I made some notes last night. I'll I'll I'll, I'll kind of say them out loud to you and get your reaction to this. It looked to me like Christy Pence and Aza Hutchinson were Sears in an Amazon world. I mean, they, they looked outdated. They looked tired. They looked um, kind of uh, the GOP of days gone by. They, they made some valid points. They made some legitimate um, or raised some legitimate concerns. But they just reminded me of Sears in an Amazon world. Vivek Ramaswamy introduced himself to a larger audience than probably formerly knew about him. But he said two very... Uh, emphatic things. He said that um, no more money for Ukraine and climate change is a hoax. Now, once right. again, that that is very provocative. Uh, it, it could be true. It could not be true. There's a fair debate to be had about, you know, our involvement in Ukraine and climate change for that matter. But but I think he, he proved to be somewhat authentic in a world where GOP voters are rewarding candidates for what they perceive to be saying what they believe, despite what the polls say, despite what some of the um, some of the focus groups say. that That's kind of my takeaway on Ramaswamy's performance. He did look illiterate at times. I mean, he did look like he didn't have a grasp of the complexity of the issue. But but when he was offered an opportunity to be aggressive in, you know, this this American Revolution 2.0, he, he, he kind of, I mean, that, that's where he appears to be his most comfortable. And I do think that resonates with his GOP base. Well, look, you know, there's a streak in the Republican Party right now that is indeed libertarian. And I think he taps into that libertarian part of the Republican Party, and he does it quite well. And, you know, I see the reactions he gets from individuals that like what they hear from Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, he, he is unique in that regard. He is a political neophyte. 
but uh, sometimes that plays to your advantage when you're a political neophyte. Look, so was Donald Trump in 2016. Never ran for anything, and, and he beat all of those politicians on the debate stage. I'm not saying that happened with Vivek Ramaswamy last night. You know, I think that uh, there were some punches that were landed by the other candidates against him, including some punches that were thrown by Nikki Haley. Uh, but uh, that being said, I think he had overall a good night. I, I, I just, you know, I think that it's it's how people view him. To me, he often comes across as too glib, if that's a possibility. Donald Trump doesn't come across ever as too glib. Uh, he's simplistic sometimes in the way that he talks, but he really is a natural politician. He's a good communicator, uh, one of the best. Uh, whereas, you know, I compare communication skills of Donald Trump to, let's say, the person who's trying to, you know, close that gap with him, and that's Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is a terrible communicator. And what I mean by that is the good communicators, the best out there, and I always think of Oprah Winfrey when I think about great communicators, they talk to you. They talk to you. They don't talk at you. And with Ron DeSantis, he talks at you in everything he does. And that, to me, is where he loses people and where he loses that authenticity that the good politicians and the good communicators naturally have i think that is well said and i refer to ramaswamy as a heartthrob i mean it's almost <laughs> like he's on one of these teen <laughs> magazines but but he does carry the party places that historically it struggled with his um his uniqueness i'll just leave it there but but i want to get your take before i let you go john to me the winner was trump saying no to the debate not being there not being in the middle of that incoming um being so far ahead it looked to me like he made a very calculated and wise decision by sitting this one out yeah, and it's not going to change. The next debate is September the 27th. It's going to be at the Reagan Library in California. Uh, Donald Trump, I would be shocked if he's going to change his mind uh, and say, I'm going to take part in that debate. Uh, as he put it in that cl- uh, the, the clip that was played of, of Donald Trump with uh, Tucker Carlson, what's the point? Why, why should I bother showing up? I'm, I'm leading by double digits, and, and I understand that. Uh, you know, the only thing that would convince him to get in to these debates is if his lead over any of those candidates narrowed to single digits, then he would, I think, have to get in the debate. It's disappointing. I think I'd love to see Donald Trump on the same stage at the same time as his former vice president, how unique that would be. Uh, But uh, that is clearly not going to happen this election cycle. Very well explained. John, thank you for your time. Safe travels. And uh, and we'll talk next week. I look forward to it. Thanks again, Ken. Have a great day. Thank you. Great television senior national editor, White House correspondent John Decker on the ground in Milwaukee um, the morning after the GOP primary debate um, that didn't feature. uh, We could argue it's a vice presidential debate. Didn't feature, um, you know, Donald Trump. You could also argue that the the two most prominent figures in the American First Movement sat down with one another yesterday simultaneously um, to the debate. Tucker Carlson, I would argue, is the most consequential pundit in America first world today. Um, Tucker matters much more than the Heritage Foundation, the National Review, um, probably Fox News to some degree right now. I mean, Tucker on his own with with the help of Elon Musk and Twitter and this deal they've worked out um, has probably as much influence as any pundit uh, in conservative world or America first world right now. So to get Trump sitting down with Tucker, that there's probably at least as large an appetite for that conversation 
as there is the um the presidential debate in Milwaukee. Well, look that, at the numbers. How, how many views did that interview with what, Trump get? What is an impression? You would know better than I. What, an impression. I mean, that can be misleading because because what I read yeah. last night because I actually Googled. Um, I mean, not Googled. Uh, <laughs> what an impression is, and it's like a, a you know, it, it could be as little as nine seconds. Yeah, I, th- I think. I would take an impression as if you were scrolling by and happened to see it. It kind of counts that, but you didn't actually engage maybe. But do you have to stop? I mean, I, if, I if it's on your scroll know. and you go and you stop for a second or two, well, you know how the I mean, the mind readers at Google work. I mean, if you stop for a second or two, next thing you know, you know, I mean, if you stop and look at sneakers, yep. you're going to get inundated Start with sneaker ads. ads. I mean, right. You know, so I just wonder what is an impression? And, it, and it, I think I understood it. It's, it's, a, it's a, a longer than just scrolling past. Is it three seconds or I don't know. It's obviously not clicking on and, and being a viewer. But the impressions were at the 39-minute mark, there were 70 million impressions. That's that's unbelievable to me. 70 million. And how many people probably watched the debate on Fox? I mean, how many are Americans? You know, I, I don't want to know that. How many Americans? I mean, because Google's right. I mean, as far as I know, the – um. The Twitter sphere doesn't end at the county line, right? right? Or, or the boundaries. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's global. It's it's um it's all over the world. Uh, I'd explain that to public over global. What does that mean? That means all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like a amphibious means you shoot with left hand and right hand, and ambidextrous means it goes on right. on water and and land. Right, Ralph? <laughs> yeah, right, right. We're clear. We're, Josh is looking like no, it doesn't. Yeah, right. It's a joke, Josh. <laughs> it's a joke. It's kind of an inside joke. Just agree. Been here long <laughs> enough to be in on some of these. Some of these are inside jokes. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, I've talked a lot about what I believe, what I perceive, what I think happened um, last night. It's it's kind of a um, – th- there's not a standout performer, so to speak. I mean, there just was not. Nobody, w- what you call, just went four for four, hit for the cycle. I mean, I just didn't see that. Um, and, and I keep going back to the visual, the optic. Here, here's something that matters to me. And I think subconsciously matters to voters. At about the forty, out well, about the hour and fifteen minute mark of the debate, Chris Christie began leaning on the podium. I'm just saying. <laughs> and you notice things well, like I mean, that. You do. I mean, you always notice things like that. You don't lean on a podium, especially if people have concerns about your your weight. It's a, it's a shallow but complicated science. Well, how can it be both? I don't know, but it is. The art of politics is both shallow and sophisticated. It is shallow in we know they're lying to us and we're going to vote for one of them anyway. But that's the most shallow premise imaginable. People of sound mind know that this guy's lying to them or this lady's lying to them and they're going to go out of their way to cast a ballot in their favor anyway. How How much more shallow could anything be? But it's sophisticated because there's a gamesmanship here. There's a visual and an optic, and there's a, you know, the spoken word is a part of that. I mean, it's a big, I don't want to say, I almost said charade. It's a big act. <laughs> I mean, it is, and part of the act is you've got to appear to be presidential. You're, and you're leaning the on the podium, if you're 100 pounds overweight, the last thing you need to do is lean on the podium at the hour and 15-minute mark because it it implies I don't have the stamina, man. It's kind of like Biden. Sometimes he half jogs out on stage after he's look, had a bad day to try to make it look like he's vigorous and right. But it looks phony. It does. I mean, it looks it, it looks doofusy. Stop running, you may fall. I mean, that's what all of us <laughs> think when he starts doing that. And you know, I, I think Donald Trump said something last night of the Tucker Carlson interview, and, and he said this is something he, 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 he kind of newfound. He said, you know, people are smart. 
because he's talking about the indictments and impeachments. And he said, once we got to a certain point, people began to figure out this is a political witch hunt. I mean, this is the, um, the political persecution of a political rival. And, and Trump's basically saying, I don't have to tell everybody that. I mean, you got to remind and nudge people, but, but people are smart. I mean, people see through these things. And, and I think, you know, when you see, I mean, I did, and maybe I pay a little closer attention, but, but I, I saw Christie, and I'll tell you what, at about the 30-minute mark, I thought to myself, how long can Christie's, I mean, because Christie's a big, heavy guy. I mean, he just is. And you're asking a big, heavy guy to stand on his feet for a couple of hours. And, you know, if you're a big, heavy guy, you know that can be problematic, just standing there. Uh, you got blood circulation. You got all these other things that you think about. And I just noticed at about a minute, or excuse me, an hour and 15 minutes, he started leaning on the podium. And I, I just think voters find that not very attractive. I just, um, I, don't know, I don't know about impressions, but I just looked at Tucker's Twitter feed from last night and the video with the Trump interview says 160 million views. But I dispute whether that's views. Right. Exactly what it says. I understand yeah. that. I mean, it's, I know it's, it's on Twitter, so it's the truth. I mean, you're right. <laughs> let's, let's not dare question yeah. Yeah. The, the accuracy or um, and, and I thought the same trustworthiness thing of Twitter. Based on what we were just talking about, because it does not say impression. It says 160 million views, 547,000 likes, 13.7 thousand quotes, and 150,000 reposts. Well, they may be playing a bit loose and fast, but who's counting? Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike. Hey, I, I believe you. I, I agree with you, Ken, there. I think you were being kind to Christie saying he's over only 100 pounds overweight. I think he's got 150 maybe and some change. But uh, they, he looked pretty much like a beach quail on Omaha Beach on D-Day. He, he just could he Nobody was shooting at him much because they knew he wasn't going to get off the beach. And uh, – but uh, – I, the thing that uh, got me is I think uh, Ramaswamy kept referring to Kensington. I think a lot of people don't know where Kensington is. That you know, it, it's uh, it's a depressed Rust Belt area in the middle of Philadelphia, and uh, there's a lot of uh, Hispanics and uh, minority groups live there, and they. Uh, uh, he has bothered to go to places like that, and that's what's needed is for uh, Republicans to go to places like that. Now, a lot, I don't know how Christie would fare if he went in there, but uh, they, these people, you're absolutely right about uh, Pence and Christie. They're, they're, they're addressing a world that doesn't exist. And I think Ramaswamy is actually trying to address the real world. We have to reevaluate how we do things and that's necessary. Maybe he doesn't have the experience of uh, uh, Haley as being the ambassador to the U.N. and all of that, but he is still an extremely agile uh, mind to put uh, to focus on some of these problems that we're going to have to face. And I think he did pretty well considering everybody started shooting at him. He was the only one trying to get off the X, get off the beach. And uh, his own guys started shooting at him for some unknown reason. It was almost like it was planned. Well, it'll be the unknown reason is 8%, 9%, 11%. I mean, you know, no, nobody messes with Ramaswamy at 1%. Everybody uh, gets their dander up when he gets to 10 or 11 or 12%. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's a serious candidate. 
And I think he could uh, displace DeSantis if DeSantis doesn't get his uh, act together. But that that's just me talking. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. And, and maybe, I mean, I, I don't want to insult Ramaswamy, and I certainly don't intend this to be meant, it's not meant to be insulting. He's a political heartthrob. Republicans, I saw Josh yesterday when I said it, Josh was like, hmm, okay. I mean, I watched Josh's reaction at times. Republicans have historically fallen in line. Liberals fall in love. I mean, they, they just do. They're looking for the next episode of Camelot. That they want to feel good about the 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 aspiration left, you know, aspects of government. And and Ramaswamy is a guy that reeks of that. I mean, there's a heartthrobbiness about him. He's um he's exciting. He's interesting. He's different. He's unique. Um, you know, I said yesterday, and I and I do this to provoke. Um, is he our party's Obama? I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously he has a different, you know, belief in government, a, a different framework of which he approaches government from, but, but he has the, the similar characteristics, doesn't he? I mean, he's, uh, he's articulate, he's bright, he's, um, unbelievably prepared w- whether he knows what he's talking about or not. <laughs> he can convince you he does. On some of these, I mean, it reminds me a lot of, you know, the um, the rock star qualities that Obama has, or, or, you know, I think Ramaswamy has some of those similar qualities. And in a in a audio, really in a visual age and soundbite era, that works. That works well. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. We're, we're kind of on the fly. We're making it up as we go. Imagine that. We should be good at it. We do a lot of that making it up. That's pretty much as the we plan. Go. Drew, um, Drew McKissick, SEGOP chairman and co-chair of the National Party, just texted me uh, six or eight minutes ago and said, sorry, I thought I could move a breakfast. I can't. Um, he's in Milwaukee. You can imagine he has a lot of official responsibilities. But Drew will be live in the studio with us next week. I think we're going to do some radio and podcast work with Drew, um, an important person in all this um, transitioning of the Republican Party from what has historically been and and what it's it seems to be becoming. I mean, it really and truly seems that there's critical mass with the America Firsters, and this party's kind of um. I mean, that horse has left the station, that train. <laughs> has left the uh, the barn, mm-hmm. and there ain't no turning back the clocks. I mean, it's just a very different time in Republican politics than historically uh, it has been. Do we have a call? Because I want to be respectful of the caller, but I do want to go to Tucker Carlson. We talked a lot about the debate. We've not talked much about Tucker interviewing Donald Trump last night. Rev says 160, 160 million impressions impressions yeah whatever uh, whatever we don't know the difference in a view and an impression i'm arguing it's not 160 million views but rather impressions it doesn't matter i mean 160 million is a lot i mean that that's uh, more than watch the debate yeah i mean that that's far more than watch the debate i mean i think six million people probably in the neighborhood of six million people probably watch the debate uh if trump had been there maybe eight to ten million but with him not there I would argue six, seven, maybe eight on the high end. Fox averages a million and a half viewers a night, two million on a good night. Um, so they quadrupled maybe their audience. But Twitter's where it's at. I mean, it is indeed the digital town square. Is there a call? Yes. Let's go to the phone. George in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hi, George. Yes. Um, good morning. I was 
wondering what I tried to watch it last night. I couldn't find it on radio. I don't get Fox News. I, <laughs> I couldn't pick the debate up anywhere. Well, why wouldn't they try to have it on more venues? I don't know that, George. It's mean, a Fox CNN, News debate, though. Yeah, it's a Fox News debate. They're the sponsor. I mean, they're in control of the content. I, mean, I guess they're in control of the distribution. Uh, I think we covered it here on on 95.3, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Was, we covered it in Florence. I don't know that we covered it. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. I don't know that we covered uh, in Sumter and Orangeburg. You would be the guy to mm-hmm. answer that question, Drew. Yeah, it was, on, it was on in Florence. Okay. It was on yep. in Florence on 95.3. Uh, in fact, we had a little snafu this morning because the debate – goofed up the timing in the computer for what goes on at what time or not. But, um, yeah, it was on, I mean, it was a Fox news affiliated debate. It's going to be on Fox news exclusively. And I mean, I, you know, when you get to presidential debates, the presidential debate committee has a lot of choices to make. And, you know, I think the Republicans have agreed that we're not going to participate in the debate. If a CNN host or an ABC news host, there's got to be an approved uh, moderator. We're not going to be ambushed by one of these um, Democrat friendlies. But but I want to, let's do this. We got about, uh, we, we, we hope Robert, Robert may be in the same situation that Drew is. I mean, it's hard to pin these guys down on the morning after the debate. I mean, they have a lot of responsibilities to their, uh, to, to, to why they're there. I mean, Robert doesn't work for Wake Up Carolina. He works for Trafalgar. So if Trafalgar calls and Wake Up Carolina calls, guess what Robert does? He does what Trafalgar asked him to do. And we certainly understand that but we think we'll have robert sometime around 8 30 but let's go back to um a little bit about you know i, I don't want to play it's 46 minutes we'll play six or eight minutes to let you the listener get a flavor of the interview tucker carlson conducted last night with former president and four-time indicted felon <laughs> donald j mm-hmm. trump you ready josh ready mr president thanks for joining us thank you why are you at the Fox News debate tonight in Milwaukee? Well, you know, a lot of people have been asking me that, and many people said you shouldn't do them, but you see the polls have come out, and I'm leading by 50 and 60 points. And, you know, some of them are at one and zero and uh, two. And I'm saying, do I sit there for an hour or two hours, whatever it's going to be, and uh, get harassed by people that shouldn't even be running for president? Should I be doing that? Uh, and a network that isn't particularly friendly to me. Frankly, you know, they uh, they were backing Ron DeSanctimonious like crazy, and now they've given up on him. I mean, he's it's a lost cause. It reminded me very much of 2016. You know, in 2016, I went through the same stuff and had to fight them all the way, and then they became very friendly after I won, or just about when I was winning. But I just felt it would be uh, more appropriate not to do the debate. I don't think it's uh, right to do it. Uh, if you're leading by 50, 60, I have one problem leading by 70 points, and I'm saying, why am I doing it? And I'm going to have eight people, 10 people, whoever made the debate, I don't know how many it is, but I'm going to have all these people screaming at me, shouting questions at me, all of which I love answering, I love doing, but it doesn't make sense to do them. So uh, I've taken a pass, as it's, you probably noticed. Oh, I, I did. <laughs> I'm grateful that you did. Um, it's interesting, though, because you spent a lot of your career in television. Yeah. You would a top show in television on NBC, um, but you don't feel the need now running for president to do television. Obviously, do you think television is declining? Well, according to a poll that I guess we just saw, it just came out where it's down like 30, 35 percent. But I think they were talking referring to cable. I think cable's down because it's lost credibility. MSNBC, or as they say, MSDNC, is so bad. It's so 
wrong what they write and what they do and what they say. It's, you know, it's fake news, as I said. I think I came up with that term. I hope I did, because it's a good one. It's not tough enough anymore. It's corrupt news. You know, really, what you do is call it corrupt news, but somehow that doesn't play as nicely. But uh, it is corrupt news. So you have uh, MSNBC and you have CNN, who's absolutely doing no ratings at all. I mean, they're dead. But they're doing none because they don't have credibility. They really don't have credibility. Fox is way down, as you know. And uh, the good old days are, are long ago. I will say this. Uh, it could come back, but they, have, they just don't have a lot of credibility. Tucker, you know that perhaps better than anybody. I think it was a terrible move getting rid of you. You were number one on television, and all of a sudden, you're, we're doing this interview, but we'll get bigger ratings using this crazy forum that you're using than probably uh, probably the debate or competition. When you, when you say there are people on stage who shouldn't be running for president, who do you mean? Well, I don't want to really use names, but it wouldn't matter too much. A guy like, uh, I call him Ada Hutchinson. It's Asa, but I call him Ada. Uh, Why do you I call him Ada? Know, I, you know, I could tell you, but I don't want to get myself in a little trouble. <laughs> but he's weak and pathetic, and he was, uh, I never understood the guy, I never knew him. He was the governor of Arkansas. I did not a very popular guy. I don't know how he, but that state is such a great state. The people are so incredible yes. in that state. And they love me and I love them. How does this guy get elected governor of Arkansas? But he's nasty always and uh, has been. Uh, a guy like Chris Christie, the guy left with a 8%, think of it, 8% approval rating in New Jersey. Now he's running for president. And he runs solely on the basis, oh, let's get Trump. Let's get, he's like a savage, uh, uh, maniac. He's like a lunatic. And that's all he talks about. His poll numbers are very, very low. He's about 2%. What's he like? You know him well. No, I've had, I've been friendly with him over the years, but I couldn't give him a, a job because I just never trusted him very much. Uh, I was just never one of his people that really trusted him. I never gave him the job. And that's one of the reasons he feels so hurt and so betrayed. And I understand that. I really do. I understand it. But I never gave him. You know, he wanted to be different things. He was looking at different uh, elements of the administration. And we decided, uh, I decided just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. And now I'm glad I did because you see, but you know, we had some, some great people. I had great people. We'll have even better people if we do this because now I know Washington before I didn't know Washington. But guys like Bill Barr were terrible. I mean, they were, I would say, bushies. Uh, I say that with respect to the Bush family, but they were bushies. And uh, just, it doesn't work out for us. We it was clear, this is kind of far afield, but it was just interesting. I read Barr's account of his time. He wrote a book about it, right? Uh, his autobiography. And in it, he lies about Jeffrey Epstein's death. Clearly lies. Uh, do, you, do you think Epstein killed himself sincerely? I don't know. I, I will say that, you know, he was a fixture in Palm Beach. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Barr said about it either. I have no idea what he said. What did he say? He killed himself, probably? He said he killed way. himself and that they were going to do this investigation. They never did the investigation. It's never been yeah. public. Well, and did. they hid it. And, like, why are they doing that? He and clearly do... Barr knew. But why would Bill Barr be covering up the death of Jeffrey Epstein? Uh, Bill Barr didn't do an investigation on the election fraud either, okay? He said he did, and he pretended he did, but he didn't. Uh, uh, McSwain, the U.S. attorney in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, uh, said Barr, Barr just wouldn't let him do it. It was crazy. Barr became so petrified, so frightened of being impeached. We're going to impeach him. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah. It's not a big moment in history. But they said, we're going to impeach. You know, they play a much rougher game, the left, the lunatics. 
and they were going to impeach Bill Barr, and he was petrified. Now, how do you not get impeached? Don't do any of this stuff. But he didn't do the job there. Uh, I don't know what he did with Epstein, but possibly he do didn't. Do you think do it's that. possible that Epstein was killed? Oh, sure, his... it's possible. I, I mean, I don't really believe. I think he probably uh, committed suicide. He had a life with, you know, beautiful homes and beautiful everything. And he, uh, all of a sudden, he's incarcerated and not doing very well. I would say that he did, but there are those people. There are many people. I think you're one of them, right? But a lot of people think that he. Uh, he was killed. He knew a lot on a lot of people. He was killed. You I think, think so? I think the more, the closer you look, I'm not a conspiracy person at all. I believe everything I hear. Uh, but yeah, the, the closer you look into it, I mean, the Attorney General of the United States, your Attorney General, yeah. clearly lied about the Epstein death. Yeah, and he was. Why? He was, uh, certainly it wasn't well done. They had no cameras, they had no anything, everybody was sleeping, and you know, there, the, a case could be made. Look. <laughs> I'm not going to get involved in it, but I can tell you, a case could be made either way, but uh, it certainly wasn't the most well-run place. So, so the reason I'm asking you is I'm looking at the trajectory since 2015 when you got into politics, yeah. you know, for real, and then won. Uh, there, it started with protests against you, massive protests, right. organized protests by the left, and then it moved to impeachment twice. Right. And now indictment. I mean, the next stage is is violence. Is, are you worried that they're going to try and kill you? Why wouldn't they try and kill you, honestly? Uh, they're savage animals. They are people that are sick, really sick. You have great people in the Democrat Party. You have great people that are Democrats. Most yeah. of the people in our country are fantastic, and I'm representing everybody. I'm not just Republicans or conservatives. Right. I represent everybody. I'm the president of everybody. But I've seen what they do. I've seen the lengths that they go to. When they make up the Russia, 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 when that's exposed and they go down, and Barr should have gone after them, and other people should have gone after And they did very late, because the Durham report came out. It was fairly good. It could have been a lot tougher, I guess, but it was fairly good. But it explained how corrupt it was. Uh, I'll tell you who did a great job was the Inspector General Horowitz. He did a phenomenal report. You didn't have to go to Durham. He did it on Comey and on, I guess, McCabe and some others. And it was a vicious, hard, it was basically a true report, how bad they are. But these people are sick people. These are people that uh, I think they hate our country. You want to know the truth. When you see open borders, when you see these policies that they have, and so many other things, it's so sad to see. You know, we have a country that's very fragile right now. I've never seen, I, I will say, look, uh, I ran in 16, which was 15, but I ran in 16, election in 16, and there was tremendous spirit. Uh, in 20, there was even more spirit. We got many millions of, we got millions and millions more votes. You know, it wasn't even a contest. People said, well, what do you think of 20? I said, we did much better. We did. You got to base it on the number of votes. We got many more votes in 20 than we did in 16. But the election was rigged. It was a rigged election. But, and with COVID, they use COVID to cheat in a lot of different things. And we have so much on it. It's like so easy. We had judges that didn't want to look. We had people didn't want to get involved. They called you, he's a conspiracy theorist if you say anything about the election. But I have never seen spirit like there is right now. Even coming down here, just the people on the road that are just absolutely going crazy. And the reason is, I think they like me and I, I know they love my policies. I hope they like me too. You know, a lot of people say they don't like me, but they like my, I think they like me. But 
I have never seen spirit like it is right now. And the reason is because crooked Joe Biden is so bad. He's the worst president in the history of our country. I don't think he's going to make it to the gate, but, you know, you never know. But he's a corrupt person, so corrupt that I took the name off Hillary. You know, I don't do two people at one time. I took the crooked Hillary and I made it. I retired the name. That was a good day for her. I bet she was very happy. <laughs> and I used it for Joe because it's crooked Joe. But Joe is really... But you don't think he's going to make it to November of 20? Well, I, I think he's worse uh, mentally than he is physically. And physically, he's not exactly uh, a triathlete or any kind of an athlete. You look at him, he can't walk to the helicopter. He, he walks, he can't lift his feet out of the grass. You know, it's only two inches at the White House, right? That's not a lot. But you watch him and it looks like he's walking on toothpicks. So, and then you see him in the beach where he can't lift a chair. You know, those chairs are meant to be light, right? They're like two ounces. Yeah. You lift him up, he can't lift the chair, he can't walk to the chair. And I, I don't know what they're doing with the beach. You know, this beach is seeming to play a big role, but they love pictures of him on the beach. I think he looks terrible on the beach. He looks terrible on the Skinny beach. Skinny legs. Well, he can't walk through the sand. You know, sand yeah. is not that easy to walk through, but when he walks through it, he can't walk through the sand. And there's somebody in there that thinks he looks fabulous at the beach. I think he looks horrible at the beach. Plus, the beach doesn't represent what a president's supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be working. You're supposed to be getting us out of that horrible, horrible war that we're very much involved in with Russia and Ukraine. You could do that. You could do that very easily. I believe you could do that very... I don't believe he could do it because he's just incompetent. But that's a war that should end immediately, not because of one side or the other, because hundreds of thousands of people are being killed. Can you imagine you're in an apartment house and rockets are going into that building and blowing it up and knocking it down? And who, who can, why, why should anything, why should anybody, human beings, is a human, whether they're Russian or Ukrainian or whatever they are, it's gotta be stopped. And it can't be stopped very easily. It would have never started. If I were president, it would have never started. So back to Biden, I'm interested. So you think he's failing. He obviously is failing. I think it's clear to everybody. But that would make Kamala Harris the candidate? Well, not really. I mean, I guess they'd have uh, maybe a free-for-all. A lot of people say she has to remain for certain reasons, the candidate. She has to. I don't think that's true, actually. I don't think that other people would stand for it. Uh, she has some bad moments. Her moments are almost as bad as his. I think his are worse, actually. Yeah. But she seems pretty senile, too. She speaks in, uh, in rhyme. You know, it's weird. It's weird. But she has bad moments. And in rhyme? What do you... Well, the way she talks, the bus will go here, and then the bus will go there, because that's what buses do. How, how do you not find that entertaining? Oh, I'm sorry. I understand it's different. I mean, I understand <laughs> that we're not accustomed to presidents or former presidents or presidential candidates speaking in that way, but it's just real. I mean, it's so unrehearsed, unorchestrated, authentic, real, and it, it, it speaks to people. I mean, it, Rev and Josh and I are looking at one another like, you know. I'm I mean, laughing. Yeah, you, you're kind of, I mean, and I don't know that that's good. I love but it. But it, it's so relatable. Oh, yeah. I she speaks it. in rhymes. <laughs> you know, you know, the wheels on the grass is only two inches high. And, and I, I'll, it's I'll two bet inches you, yeah, high. it's two inches high. And, you know, all these people are dying in Ukraine. I mean, it's just like, it's bar talk. I mean, it's tailgating. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sitting at a tailgate with a beer in your hand. He's a teetotaler, not a beer in this case. It would be a fish sandwich and a Pepsi. 
Uh, it wouldn't be a Diet Pepsi with him. It'd be a Pepsi and a fish sandwich. Uh, Tucker missed a question, though, and, I, and I'm disappointed when they were talking about Bill Barr. He didn't say, but you hired him. You know, we talked about the Bushies. Yeah. Now, I was also surprised that Trump said, with all respect to the Bush family, yeah. he said that some of these guys are Bushies, but then the next question should have been, I, I, I well, you, understands... you hired Bill Barr. Explain that. Yeah, I mean, I think he understands the Bush legacy. I mean, Bushes are, are good and decent people. I think they're on the yeah. wrong side of some of the um, – uh, some of the geopolitical debate in, in America. And I think, you know, it made it easier for Trump to win. I mean, I hate to say that, but the way the Iraq war went out or, or played out and the way, you know, so, some of sure. these um, excursions have played out, I mean, it made it easier for Trump to have some runway to win. But but he, the, the, the most interesting thing he said is, I mean, he doesn't call but one person crooked at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We learned. See, that's something yeah, we learned. We didn't know that. He only assigns yeah. a particular nickname to one person at a time. And there's an opportunity for someone to not be known as that anymore. He had to retire <laughs> Crooked Hillary so he could use Crooked for Biden. <laughs> and he said it's a good day for her, you know. Right. So, so, so we can't call her Crooked Hillary anymore. If you're a Trumpster, it's Crooked Joe now. Um, that's just entertaining. I don't. It's know. unbelievably entertaining, and and. I got to believe there are people listening to the radio kind of laughing under their breath. Is this a guy at the corner of the bar or is this a front runner for the Republican nomination for president? It, it sounds like one, but it is the other. I Take miss a, it. Yeah. I miss it. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I've given you two and a half hours of unprofessional, unsolicited <laughs> opinion about what happened last night. We finally get a pro on the air. Uh, Robert Cahaley, senior strategist from Trafalgar is with us. Robert, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm good. How about you? I got to believe that you're somewhere in the vicinity of Milwaukee. Am I right? Yeah, I just I just left the arena. I did a, a, a segment on Fox Business, um, Maria Bartiromo's show, and so I just got back. And it's an hour earlier, so when you got to be on that at 6, you got to get up really early in Milwaukee. <laughs> Your your recap, Robert. What did um? I mean, you're someone who plays the game at a at a greater depth than the majority of Americans do. What is your kind of initial takeaway from what we saw last night in the first presidential debate? Well, I, I think it, it definitely created some separation. It, it really depends on which perspective you're at, uh, like on kind of winners and losers in the arena. Uh, I would say probably in, in that room full of uh, donors and kind of establishment Republicans, I would say uh, Nikki is one who rose uh, most. But in the greater kind of Republican universe, I would say the Vivek uh, rose the most. But they were both very good, and um, I think they made points depending upon, you know, who your audience was. I mean, you know, if, if you're a donor looking smaller than Trump, Nikki's going to get a second look. Uh, but, uh, you know, but Pence – and uh, Tim Scott and Asa came across as really good guys, but just not up to the challenge. And as bad as he was treated in the arena, and, as, and because he was so negative, I think that you'll see Christie kind of emerge as the, you know, the kind of that 9% of Republicans who don't like Trump as kind of their flag bearer. Um, you know, DeSantis held his own. Uh, and, you know, Tim Scott, I think, definitely is going to fade after this. Uh, and and when it came to abortion, I mean, I think Bergam was the best one to deal with that. He just kind of talked about the Tenth Amendment and how it's back to the states. And I mean, it's almost like he he got he got them out of that discussion. And um, so I mean, it, it it was it was a lot of time spent on things like you know the divisive things that are not necessarily a national obvious stuff. 
what I was disappointed in is that nobody talked about Biden taking bribes when you had this what chance that an audience greater than normal Fox News audience, why not educate them on the things they're not getting watching mainstream media? I think that's a missed opportunity. Robert, from that perspective, uh, I mean, I don't want to say a breakout moment, but Vivek Ramaswamy said something very provocative, and he exclaimed it loudly and proudly when he said that no more funding for Ukraine and climate change is a hoax. I mean, to me, I wrote those down. There was no bartering. There was no hedging of bets. I mean, it was just as, as loudly and proudly as he could possibly say that. Is is that, I mean, is, is Ramaswamy Trump 2.0? I mean, is he, he he's, he's more heartthrobbish than Donald Trump is, but he does offer this outside of the Beltway fresh perspective that GOP voters seem to be yearning for. He's articulate. He's bright. He's, uh, I mean, I, I know the word heartthrob implies a certain unseriousness, and, and that's not fair oh, yeah. to him. But but he but he and does say things that that GOP candidates normally don't say. I mean, I'm not used to male radio hosts describing him as heartthrob. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, that's weird to me, um, but that's okay. You know, everybody's got perspective. It's, it's a big tent. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I do think that he, he has that succinctness and just I'm not going to give you a bunch of, you know, whitewashed, poll-driven nonsense. I'm going to tell you what I really think. And um, I, I think especially the way that he kind of went statement, 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 building momentum in that close was just, I mean, that was good stuff. That was just really good stuff. Um, and, the, you know, the way he threw, threw back at Christie uh, on the you know, running a campaign based on grievances, was that what you're doing? And I thought that was good. Now, Christie had some exceptional lines, too, and all of his best lines were against Roswami. And I, I knew he was going to be, you know, kind of the center of attention. And, and I think that's the other subliminal thing is watching it. So many of them attack Swami. It's kind of like this is what Republicans do. The, the you know the one taking the most arrows. Oh, that must be our leader. And and, and so, in that subliminal way, I think Swami is you know kind of established himself even more. Uh, but uh, it, you know, it, it, I think Laura Ingram put it best. She, she said something about uh, that uh, Tim and Pence are you know a really great. With, uh, faith leaders, but that's probably where they should stay. To me, the biggest winner was Trump uh, by by not attending the debate, not not dealing with the incoming, having such a dominant lead. You would agree Trump made the right decision by not going to Milwaukee last night. Well, you know, I, I still want, and here's why: that Fox will never have a bigger non-Fox audience than it did last night of people who don't usually watch Fox watching. To me, that is an opportunity for Trump to get on there and look at the screen and say, you know what, I know I'm supposed to answer that question, but that's silly. What nobody's talking about is Biden has been taking bribes, and the mainstream media won't tell you, and let me tell you what the evidence is, and run through it. Talk, just literally talk to mainstream America that is usually not watching Fox and tell them what the heck they're missing. And I think that's an opportunity Trump could have used. So that's why I'm going to tell you no, I think you should have But, Robert, look at the impressions and views that Twitter had with Tucker being uh, kind of hosting Donald Trump in a separate event. 
I mean, the last we looked, I mean, there was 70 million impressions after 39 minutes. Are you arguing yeah, that's not the audience he needs to engage? Well, it's 200. Yeah, I've looked. It's more than 200 million um, uh, impressions, and it, it, it it's a lot. But I, I just still think there's a difference between the Twitter audience and the voting audience, and the voting audience skews a little older and just doesn't really understand about the Twitter thing. I mean, I can't tell you how many older people called me and said, no, how do, uh, what channel is Twitter on? You know, I mean, just stupid questions. <laughs> you just can't imagine somebody would ask. <laughs> but it was like, I, I, they don't, you know, they don't know how to get Twitter on TV. I'm like, I don't think it's on TV. <laughs> but so I, I think it's a different audience. And um, I think he could have that same audience the next day. Robert, I want to get you. I, I, I want to get your take on this, and this is less opinion and more strategy and and data. I argued early this week. In fact, you and I discussed a little bit of this off the air. I argued this week when when the pervasive narrative of the mainstream media is Trump can't win. The better argument to make is that Trump is the only Republican that can win. If there is a fork in the road, and maybe the answer is not that simple, but there's a fork in the road, and to one side, Trump can't win. The other side, Trump is the only Republican that can win. What fork does Robert Cahaley take? I definitely would take the uh, the direction that uh, he is the only one that can win. And I'll tell you, you know, all you have to do is walk into off that arena last night. It was surrounded by people outside who were all, like, couldn't get into the debate, and they were just waving their Trump flag. Trump is innocent signs, and I'm like, you know, I've already seen some numbers, and I reposted something that that the guy I have a lot of respect for, um, uh, another pollster put up about how many Trump people would would not vote in the general election or would vote third party, and um, it's devastating. So yeah, I mean, I think whether people like it or not, that this Trump must be the nominee. And um, and that was what I would tell you would be one of Nikki's down moments. I mean, I know she thinks it's a hit, and she repeated it on Fox about Trump being the most unpopular politician in America. And, I mean, frankly, that's kind of funny coming from somebody that's less popular than Trump and South Carolina. But, um, but I think that was not the right thing to say. I mean, you, you, the most unpopular politician in America is Kamala Harris, followed closely by Joe Biden. <laughs> So, Robert, if Trump increases from 63.4 million in 16 to 74.5 million in 2020, Joe Biden got unofficially, or well, officially, I mean, it's been certified, 81 ish million votes. Well, I mean, what does it take for a Republican to win? I mean, is 75 million the ceiling for Republican voters? How do you get to, I mean, if 80 is the new, the, the new number, how does a Republican get to 80 million votes? Well, I'd say it's pretty, pretty easy. A couple of things. One, uh, the difference between 2016 and 2020 is something very significant. Jill Stein's margin in almost all the swing states was greater than Trump's margin of victory. So <clears throat> the fact that this is going to be a legit three, four, maybe five-way race, I mean, Cornell West is going to get some votes. He has great authenticity. From what I've heard, he's spoken at over 30,000 churches over the uh, past you know, 40 years. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna get some votes, so you know that starts coming off that 80, 80 million. Then you you take that segment of Republicans, 
who kind of like Trump's policies, but thought Biden wouldn't be a big deal and just wanted the, you know, kind of the volume to turn down. And that crowd that voted for Biden won't vote for him again. They'll, they'll, they'll hesitantly come back to Trump. The ones that just truly hate Trump, who would naturally go to Biden, may go to some third party, some no labels or something, because they don't really want to vote for Biden. They just really can't stand Trump. So all, so all these numbers start coming off. So I think it's more difficult for Biden to get back to, you know, 80, 81 than this for Trump to go 75 to 77. So I think it, the fact is when, when you have a Republican candidate for president that's with an, an average of 0.5 behind the Democrat in the popular vote, that translates to 350 or more electoral college, and that's a landslide. It, I mean, if, if he can keep it close in the popular vote, he's going to destroy him in the Electoral College. Last question. Is there any chance to reconcile the never-Trumpers? You talked about the, the 30 to 35 to maybe even 40% that'll take their ball and go home if Trump's not the nominee. Is there any common ground? Is there any diplomacy left to try and execute in regards to Trump and the 11 to 14% never-Trumpers? Yeah, I, I would say, it's, you know what? So many of those never Trumpers were just never Trumpers when they thought Biden wouldn't be a big deal. I would say that number is down to about nine percent from what we find who just truly hate him. And I don't think that the Republicans can get him. But remember, I'm the guy who always said back to the first election, Trump did worse among Republicans than most people realize, and better with independents and um, with Democrats than people realize. You know, if if that if that Republican vote that leaks over to Biden is under 15, then the, the Democrat and independent vote that Trump takes up will, will completely erase that. So, yes, I think he can definitely um, do that because, again, you've got more than half of the ones who kind of voted for Biden reluctantly regret that move. But I tell you, a move that I liked, and um, I heard them earlier, I actually visited Florence uh, when they had the, the rally uh, where Trump endorsed Russell, and I stayed in that hotel, Florence. And let me tell you, everything they said in the ad is true. That I even wrote a review on TripAdvisor. I was so, I thought it was so wonderful. That place is a gem, and I really, it, it was one of the most impressive hotels in a in, in a small town. I mean, it was just charming. And the restaurant couldn't have been better from the decorations to the food. It was all first class. Well, they take care of you because you're th- such a heartthrob. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, my man. I appreciate yeah. you getting up early this morning, making us a priority. means a lot to us, and um, and we hope to catch you again down the road. Yes, sir. Y'all Thank you. Care. Robert Cahaley, Senior Strategist of Trafalgar, giving us a uh, a more in-depth and anical, analytical look at, uh, at where the race is today. And fresh off an appearance with Maria Bartiromo this yeah. morning on Fox Business, so we yeah. appreciate his time. There you go. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Last hour of this day after the debate edition of Wake Up Carolina. We've had interesting guests, interesting um, calls. Let's not forget that the day after the debate is also the day that Donald Trump is expected to turn himself in uh, in Georgia to, I guess, be held accountable to the uh, indicting process of being charged formally uh, with a crime. It's a surreal moment to me, and, and I mean that sincerely. You know it's coming. You know it's inevitable. You, you know the charges have been filed. 
that there's been a kind of a grace period, I guess, to allow the former president to turn himself in. But but we're going to have, um, you know, fingerprints and I guess a mugshot at some point in time today mm-hmm. made available to the public of a former president for the first time in American history. And that does get a bit surreal as far as I'm concerned. Um, Fox News Radio's Edmund Brown has given us kind of a um, a, 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 a very – I, he's done a good job of helping us understand some of the formalities and logistics that go along with this very political issue. Eben is, is uh, with us this morning. Eben, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. So, so, so maybe the word is not right, but to me, it's somewhat of a surreal experience to see the mugshots from yesterday. And will we have an eventual mugshot of former President Trump today? Uh, you uh, very likely will. Uh, the, the former president's supposed to turn himself in. He will be photographed. He will be fingerprinted. He will have his irises scanned, we're told, as part of a biometric uh, uh, reading. Uh, and uh, the, the photograph, the mugshot, will be made public, just as the other ones were yesterday for Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, and and uh, and, and many others. Uh, so those who haven't yet turned themselves in have until noon tomorrow uh, Donald Trump has made it uh, known he will do it today. Uh, he will, as per a consent bond decree, uh, pay $200,000 in bond money and be released, uh, but also with the admonition that uh, he should not threaten any judge, any prosecutor, any witness, or any co-defendant. Uh, but there's a real subjective, nebulous area as to what constitutes a threat especially under the backdrop of his campaign. Uh, Mr. Trump is making as a central part of his campaign that he and other like-minded people are under persecution of their, uh, uh, due to their views, due to their ideas, due to their effectiveness of their ideas. Uh, and that persecution is, is, is the work of a power structure in Washington, D.C., uh, that includes both the entrenched bureaucracy, a.k.a. the deep state, as well as the Democratic Party, which has been the ruling uh, governing uh, factor uh, in Atlanta, as well as New York City, as well as under the current Department of Justice. So uh, those are the the four places where he uh, is is facing prosecution, happen to be Atlanta, New York, uh, Washington, D.C. in a federal court, and Florida, but in a federal court. Uh, so the question remains is if he goes up on, on, on a podium and on television and says, well, these guys are really trying to get me and they got nothing on me. I'm innocent. Uh, does that constitute a threat? We don't really have an answer to that question. Eben, who decides the answer to that question? If there's ambiguity there. Yeah. Okay. So, so if, if Trump were to come out and say something that they believe violates this deal, then a judge renders a decision and they find him in violation of the, of the agreement. Correct. And he goes to jail or could, or potentially. Yeah. 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 But do we expect the president or his legal team to make any sort of announcement or press conference today? Uh, None that we've been told about. Um, Anything's possible. Uh, The president, former president likes to have rallies on weekends um, probably because he gets better turnout. So, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to throw something together this weekend. Uh, I haven't actually seen his schedule, so maybe he might have something planned. I don't know, but, um, I, I, I th- there's no way they, they try to make this quiet. There's no way to keep it quiet. Uh, and remember for the three previous 
indictments and surrendering, his popularity has increased, uh, according to polling. I would assume this would have even more of an effect. And so uh, he's I, in, in some ways, look, it, it's, it must not be fun to be arrested. But at the same time, uh, he has reaped some benefit from these uh, uh, these legal proceedings here. And uh, he's he's well aware of that. Very well explained. Evan, thank you for your time. As usual, you're all over it, my man. Appreciate it. You got it. Take care. Thank you. Uh, you know, you know, one of these guys fairly well when you don't put the A on appreciate. Because normally you want to be grammatically correct. Appreciate and tra- it. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Evan's kind of an old hand on this feeble attempt to radio bring it so we can say appreciate it, Evan. Yeah. And, for, and, for and you refer to him as, uh, you know, Mr. Brown, the Fox yeah. reporter. You report, refer to him as my man. Yeah, my man, Evan. <laughs> my man, Evan from Fox News joining us as he has many, many, on many, many occasions. I want to say this real quick, and then we'll get to, uh, we got Wayne Mulling, our um, our general manager and executive vice president of community broadcasters, talking about an event we're having. But but I, I want to do this, and I, I mean, I saw Wayne. Wayne gets a, a bit into this. I mean, Wayne has political views just like everybody else does. Um, at the end of the day, and you can argue Trump this, Trump that, Trump something uh, other than this or that, but at the end of the day, this is an historic moment in American history. We've never until now had uh, a former president indicted. We've got three indictments. We're now going to have uh, a mugshot. And it's going to be a local prosecutor in Atlanta, Georgia, on RICO charges. I mean, that, that's where we are. A local prosecutor in Atlanta, Georgia, on RICO charges. I mean, that, that, that's the fragility of our nation. That's how we end up where we are. Um, I mean, I could go down the road of racism. I could go down the, 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 the road if you can't beat him at the ballot box or beat him at the jury box. I mean, there are a lot of avenues I could take here. But, but you know, in, in one sentence, encapsulating kind of where we are today, we, we've been 247 years without a president being indicted of a crime. We've got this president, what, 90 charges now, I think, in varying uh, municipals and locales. But, but today, he's going to be booked, fingerprinted, and a mugshot taken by a local prosecutor in Atlanta, Georgia, on RICO charges that a series of overt acts, however legal they may have been, led to a conspiracy to defraud the United States uh, of, of, you know, reasonable expectations about election. It's bizarre to me, and it's surreal to me, and it angers me. I mean, it really, it makes me angry. I mean, I don't like the way I feel about the, you know, the, the prosecutor, I don't like the way I feel about those in charge in Fulton County, um, but but I feel that way. That there's there's tremendous animus and anger in my heart that I feel for. And once again, you know, Trump doesn't deserve to be defended on everything. I mean, Trump has made a lot of mistakes. He's done a lot of things I wish he hadn't done. But but we're going to once again mugshot and fingerprint an American president on RICO charges that are intended to prosecute organized crime and mafia bosses for things that they did wrong. When we say, I'm not sure what he did, but he did something he should not have. So, um, so there, you know, I, if the left is happy, more power uh, to the left, I guess is, you know, once again, if you can't beat him at the ballot box, let's beat him in the, uh, in, in the jury box. When I saw the mugshot of Rudy Giuliani and some of the other people yesterday, I mean, it kind of, Kicked it up next level for but, me. But I'll say this, Rev, and then we'll get to Wayne. I don't want to take any of Wayne's time because he's got a big announcement here to make. But but 
it's encouraging to me, and I'll be very interested in what happens when the mugshot is made available of independent voters. The last indictment increased Trump's numbers with independents by one and three quarter percent. He's got to have independents to win. And I think the American people are on to what's happening. It's a political persecution. Once again, it's not about the rule of law. It's not about what's legal or not. It's not about questioning the outcome of the election. This guy disrupted a world that people have largely been in charge of for many, many, many decades, and they're not going to have it. They're going to do whatever they have to do to make sure the, you know, the, the, the Lego bo- blocks are put back where the Lego blocks are supposed to be. So, so that's kind of where we are. Um, I, I would imagine he'll have a fair trial. I, I, you know, he's going to be tried in Washington. Ain't real popular there. New York, not real popular there. Um, and then in Fulton Florida. County. I mean, good luck in Fulton County is all I'll say. Uh, Wayne Mullen, general manager and executive vice president of community broadcasters, is with us. Once uh, is it once or twice a year, Wayne? Do we twice, have twice a year? Twice a year. I thought it was twice a year. We have this big job fair. And it gets bigger and bigger, better and better. Um, there are so many people out there looking for jobs. But more importantly, there are so many employers out there looking for good employees. We kind of connect the two. So today in Florence, we talked a couple of days back about Sumter and Orangeburg last week. Today in Florence, um, we're going to have that opportunity for mm-hmm. businesses and people looking for jobs. Yep. This is going into our third year of doing this. I felt like there was a huge need, and I was proven right this is our biggest uh, event of this kind that we've ever done. Uh, January was our biggest one. We're going to do it again in January, but the ones we've already done in Orangeburg and Sumter were huge. Today, uh, we have almost 50 businesses, biggest number we've ever had, and we were approached by at least 20 more that we just didn't have room to have them come uh, that have said, we want to be at this career fair. And I'm talking about some of the largest businesses in the PD and surrounding areas of South Carolina that are looking for full-time employees. I mean, of every career type that you can think of, from law enforcement to medical to factory work, I mean, just all the way down the line, local businesses looking to hire full-time people. And the great thing is this, the employers themselves will be there today. So if you come, we're looking for people that are looking for jobs career change, uh, career advancement, come, I'm telling you, there will be businesses that will be hiring on the spot today, and it's at Staybridge Suites on Radio Drive in Florence. So this isn't to come and apply for a job. I mean, you can do that, but you may get yeah. hired on the spot. On the spot. I mean, it, we, we've seen that happen many, many, yeah. many times at some of these job fairs. Okay, where, let's, with clarity, let, yeah. where, when does somebody have to have a ticket, just show up? No. How does it work? A free admission. Show up today. It starts at 11 o'clock. We'll go till 3. I would suggest you come early because there will be a huge crowd of people that will be there. This is like all of the others. Staybridge Suites is right there on Radio Drive. I think it's right behind the Holiday Inn uh, Hotel on Radio Drive. Kind of right across the road from uh, GE and that area. But uh, Staybridge Suites, Radio Drive in Florence, and look for the signs that say, you know, career fair, come in there, bring your resume. If you have one, be prepared to fill out job applications, dress for success, be for being hired, and come with a great attitude. And I'm telling you, it will. you will find out it's going to be an exciting event. Rev, you always take advantage of Wayne being in the studio to brown nose. I don't want, I don't want to, 
I don't want him to not give you the opportunity. Josh, 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 let's you and I just get out of the way That's for a right. second and let's let Rev kind of celebrate. You, you yeah. uh yeah, you guys pay attention now to what I'm about to say <laughs> and what I'm about to do. Teach him how to do it. Wayne, that was yes. an excellent segment. Thank um you. you you were very articulate. You're speaking in a very clear voice. You yes. should you should go on the air more often. Maybe I should. Maybe yeah. maybe you should do a show. Maybe you should come in here and host this show. <laughs> maybe it should be the Ken Dave and Wayne show. There you actually the Ooh. Wayne Ken, Ken the, the, Dave. The, the only people I put well I mean Mike Nunn comes in here with a badge and a gun. Yeah. Wayne comes in here with authority to pay me or not. So so that's the <laughs> right. only guy that I, that I pay more right. serious attention We're to. Leaning toward well the and, and you know moment. it's a big day. You know how I know it's a big day? Wayne's rocking the tie and pocket square that yeah. match. Yeah, yeah. So, so we know this is a big day. Yeah, he's normally a snazzy dresser. Well, he's here a snazzy. Here, here I go again. Yeah, but go this again. is another gear. I mean, bad. this is the matching <laughs> pocket square and uh, and tie. So, um, and, and and you know, community broadcasters has always believed in the commitment to community. I mean, that, yep. that's the name. It's not bogus. Absolutely. It's not phony. It's not something to catch your attention. And the local economy is how we pay our bills. Yeah. I mean, if the local economy thrives, we do better. If the local economy struggles, we, we struggle. So, so this is in partnership yep. with our local business leaders, our local economy. Once yep. again, what time and where to make sure that um, someone may have been. 11 not- o'clock today at Staybridge Suites in Florence. You can go actually still to carolinacareerfair.com, carolinacareerfair.com. All the details are there, including the names and logos of all the businesses represented this is sponsored by Pepsi of uh, Florence, and we're so grateful for them as our title sponsor every year, and it's going to be a good time. And if you are of the opinion that you could host an early morning political radio <laughs> show, stay home. <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 you come, um, because I'm afraid, Rev, they'll find somebody better than <laughs> than the two of us. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, hard. I mean, it's it's kind of a celebration <laughs> or our commitment to the community and our um our desire to try to help some of these um businesses and sponsors of some of these um some of these radio endeavors we uh try to promote our community and and the workers i mean there are a lot of workers out there who may have a decent job and want a better job and and you know you you owe it to yourself to try and find the best opportunity out there for you and i just applaud community broadcasters for not just talking the talk but walking the walk and uh, and wayne's big on that and and i don't don't want to beat up on other companies i'm certainly not going to do that but um some companies truly invest in their communities and some companies say they invest mm-hmm. in their communities and we do genuinely true, believe it's yeah it's true it's true it is it is what it is. thank you wayne thank you guys i appreciate it good to see you we'll take a break we'll be back in just a few moments eight four three six six one oh nine three seven someone's on the phone let's go there david in the pd good morning david hey Matt, this would be interesting would you rather be on wake up carolina or mornings with maria so robert has the interesting life there um We'll say real quick, I'll watch this mugshot watch. Uh, I have watched CNN try to frame that debate last night. They have four topics that they think is the most important, and that's Trump. They look at the responses to that. Ukraine, climate, and abortion. Now, that gives you their mindset. And they got some of what they wanted. Christie uh, said Trump's conducted, you know, beneath office. Asa brings up the 14th Amendment, and Nikki talked about Trump's the most disliked politician. So the mugshot watch is on. So anyway, I'll watch him go all the way from New Jersey to Atlanta. You'll watch it all day long. Bye-bye. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. I, I just don't buy into that narrative about the unpopular. I mean, he is unpopular. I mean, half the country doesn't like him. But half the country does. A third of the country really like him. 
a third of the country are, are, are unbelievably loyal and supportive. And I believe independent voters are starting to see through what is happening. And I think the, I think the mugshot brings it into clearer focus. This is real. Okay. These people are really doing this. And I think when you yeah. remind people, this has never happened before. We've had presidents misbehave. We have presidents do stupid things. We have presidents perjured themselves, get impeached. We, we've never had a president get indicted. We've never had a president get indicted on RICO laws. I mean, it's not treason. It's not bribery. I mean, it's a list of overt acts. I could go back and read some of the overt acts, but but the series of overt acts in, in, in Fannie Willis, a local prosecutor in Fulton County, her interpretation of the series of overt acts is it led to a conspiracy. And it can, I mean, you'll hear words like coup and, you know, violently overthrow and all, all these other sorts of things. The, the interesting part of this to me is I've argued since 2020 that the best way for a Republican to win in 24 is to not talk about 2020. This forces the hand. But it also allows you opportunities. And I'm hopeful that Trump is far better prepared and, and far better equipped and far better advised in this round than he was this argument he tried to make immediately following the 2020 election because they sucked at it after the 2020 election. I mean, they were horrible. They didn't get the job done. At stating their case or making their plea out of the American public. Can they do a better job this time? I have no idea. We shall eventually, collectively, um, see. Let's look in the rear view for a half second. We've done the best we know how to try and wrap up some of what happened uh, at the debate last night. Jeff Manasso was actually in the spin room for the debates. Now, the spin room is where lying is allowed and endorsed, and you didn't really see what you thought you saw. You didn't really hear what you thought you heard. That, that's where the spin room is to clean up some of the uh, some of the candidates' faux pas or mistakes they may have made. Uh, Fox News Radio of Jeff Manasso in Milwaukee and was in the spin room. Jeff, good morning. How are you? And kind of give us your take of how it felt in the spin room last night. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. It felt hot. So it's about 110 <laughs> degrees in Milwaukee and about 120 degrees in the spin room. Uh, it, you know, the spin room last night was about the size of a two-bedroom apartment. So we were we were all pretty close uh, and hot and sweaty. But uh, nonetheless, we, we, got to, we, we had a chance to speak to some candidates. I can tell you that the RNC says that the Republican Party won last night because it was a substantive issue, a debate on issues like the economy and crime and abortion, uh, as well as Ukraine. Several of the candidates had perhaps a breakthrough moment. Uh, even Chris Christie, with his, his dig on Vivek, calling him a chat GPT rookie. Um, Ramaswamy was, was attacked on, on all side, from all sides last night. You know, he, 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 he spared Ron DeSantis, I think, uh, you know, as both of them are pulling uh, ahead of the pack of eight. But Ramaswamy in the spin room last night, he said that he won. He believes that he won. This is where surrogates come in and say, yeah, our candidate was the best. Um, um, former Vice President Mike Pence said he had a good night. Uh, who else did we speak to? Doug Burgum, who, who didn't get too much uh, attention on, on stage last, last night, said that he was just happy to be able to get there and, and to be there and, and for people to, to hear him because we're not hearing a lot from him. Um, so that was a win uh, a win for, for him. But, um, you know, one of the biggest applause moments was DeSantis railing on how Biden's COVID lockdown policies 
hurt our country, saying that he kept Florida free and and open while other states shut down. So that may that may translate well for some voters out there. Uh, Ramaswamy uh, held his own, uh, and and Nikki Haley she she shined last night on abortion and on and on Ukraine. Uh, Mike Pence and DeSantis they they had some strong answers. Though while the first GOP presidential primary debate highlighted the promises of uh, a brighter future, it also highlighted the differences uh, within the GOP over over issues as well as personalities. And and you know what was interesting is virtually all the candidates they did line up behind former President Donald Trump, saying that they'd support him no matter what, even if he's convicted, if he becomes the nominee. Uh, of course, the former president skipping the debate and, and and leading the primary by by double digits. And we're waking up the next day talking about this. Uh, you, you know the, these these guys last night, these guys and and, and Nikki Haley. Oh, fighting for second place. Uh, one of the things that I that I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, in terms of uh, crowd reaction, was that there wasn't enough discussion about Joe Biden and about Joe Biden's policies. Um, they they wish that uh, there would have been more of a focus on on that because look, you know, every one of us, you know, we're we're affected by it when we go to the grocery store, the gas pump, and things like that. So. Uh, it's a big deal. One of the one of the top issues that uh, that voters had as as they came into the debate uh, arena last night. Jeff, what is was the Trump surrogates? Did Trump have surrogates on the ground? Were they allowed in the spin room? I so the rumor was is that they weren't going to be allowed, and then then I, I heard that uh, that Fox had kind of you know eased up a little bit on that. Um, I, I saw. I saw several. I saw Jason Miller and, and some other Trump surrogates uh, in there. Um, I, I didn't really see them chatting with reporters all that much, but uh, but did did see several Trump uh, Trump surrogates uh, there. And and um, y- you know he's he's obviously taking up all the oxygen uh, in many rooms as this primary process plays out. Uh, in fact, we're going to be talking about him a lot today uh, out of uh, out of Georgia, and so. So we'll see. Will that help him? Will that hurt him? Uh, don't know. I believe that some of these candidates perhaps will see a bump from last night. We're going to have to wait and see uh, what those results are. Uh, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, Trump is, is leading all of them, all of them handling. And now the RNC this morning is coming out with a new threshold for the next debate out in uh, Southern California, LA, the, the Reagan Library. Uh, and, and well, last night they had a, these candidates had to get at least one percent national polling, forty thousand dollars in donors, specific donors. Uh, and that's now up to fifty thousand dollars, and it's a three percent margin in polling. So some of these candidates we saw last night are going to drop out or drop off in terms of their participation. But uh, really important to reach out to voters. More importantly, it's it's important to reach out to donors because they're the ones that are feeling these things. Very well explained. And if it's 100 in Milwaukee, you can imagine what it is in South Carolina. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate appreciate your time. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Here is Jeff from Jeff in Chicago to Jeff in Florence. Hey, Jeff, you're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Uh, You know, last night uh, watching Nikki Haley, um, it's sad that she wasted her uh, political capital because she is impressive. And, and I think that uh, she's somebody I, I definitely could have gotten behind at some point. Um, I wanted to get your take on her 
her talk about the deficit and the deficit spending. And did you catch that? Section. Yeah, I mean, and I'd love to see the Republicans spend more time on that, but nobody. I mean, the Republicans are as guilty as the Democrats about the debt. I mean, there's there's no way that the Republican Party can say we have been financially responsible. The Democrats are to blame for all of our deficit issues and our inflationary as a result of the um. But but she did address it in soundbite fashion, Jeff. I believe this. I believe neither party has a clue how to deal with the debt. It's become so large, so uncontrollable, so so much a part of our just funding Medicaid and Medicare and Social Security that that you know when you go down that road that there's that there's just no getting off and and candidates are nervous about trying to because if you start saying I'll be the candidate to deal with the debt, the next question you got to answer is okay what do you do with Medicare? What do you do with Social Security? And no candidate that's political suicide. Yeah, and, and so to that end, I, and we agree on this fact that medical entitlements are our biggest. That's the that's the uh, weight hanging over all our heads. Um, but I don't see, and you know, what do you see in Trump that addresses that? Nothing. I mean, no. I've railed against Trump. I mean, I, I think Trump was so unattentive and uninterested in addressing the debt. I mean, he has no ground to stand on there. I mean, I, you know, I've never, ever defended Trump and the way he spent money. Yeah, and, and I don't think he's learned a lesson. I don't think Biden has the answer, like you say. But, I mean, it's, if you're, if you're going to look third party, it, it's, it's, time to, it's time to start thinking about um, a, a real movement on that. And as far as uh Trump but jeff i want to stop you there i want to stop you there sure so, but but if you if you're going to deal with it you and i agree i mean you know what i know if you're going to yeah. address the debt you're going to tell people the promises they have been made are null and void we can't or, meet the obligations we made on social security and medicare and i don't know that anybody wants to go there because there's zero chance you get elected if that's the lane you choose it's it, well. It's it's one of those things where you, you're going to have to break the mold. And I've heard you talk about single payer systems, uh, or or a high. You know, there are hybrid systems that exist. There's a more efficient way model. to provide health care to Americans than, than the current model. Ab- absolutely, because right now, I mean, you look at you look at Rick Scott in Florida. That is the face of health care in America. Here's a man who who stole billions of dollars of Medicare money pleaded the fifth 70 plus times walked away with a billion dollars in his own pocket from the largest healthcare provider in Florida. That's what we have. And and he gets elected. Americans don't think. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. He, he fleeced the system on that side too. Well, I mean, sure. <laughs> But, but it's, it's the model. I mean, we've got to reform the model. The delivery model, the funding model has to be fundamentally reformed. It can't be a, a little bit of this. And we've got, there's going to have to be major change with the way we deliver and pay for health care in America. If we don't, we'll be $50 trillion in debt and cross our fingers and hope there's always a demand for the dollar. Right. And, and, and uh, as far as like last night watching uh, Trump with Tucker Carlson, I, I don't know how your skin doesn't crawl when you've got Tucker Carlson with his fake laugh who actually hates Trump, if you believe what he says when nobody's looking, and then 
I mean, how do you how do you how do you play that and not have your skin crawl? I just assume they're all somewhat of a fraud. But you know he is. I mean, I don't know that, but I think Tucker. I mean, Tucker could be a convert. I mean, you and I have had this debate before. You think he's a fraud? I think he's somewhat of a convert. Yeah. When did he convert? After 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 March of two thousand twenty? I I would imagine in the last year or so there there have been some things that have happened in Tucker's life. Um, that, that have kind of uh, allowed him to progress further down uh, the American First Road. I mean, there, there's no question Tucker historically has been a neocon. I mean, he cut his teeth in uh, the Weekly Standard. He sat at the, the knee of Bill Crystal. Um, Crystal critically, uh, excuse me, um, habitually complains about what happened to Tucker Carlson. He lost his way. I'm arguing he found his way. Is he sincere? Is he not? I don't know. I don't have any idea how sincere Tucker Carlson is. He is a very consequential pundit in America today, maybe the most consequential pundit. And when that guy sits down with the most consequential politician in America, there's going to be a curiosity factor amongst all of us to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that. Everybody likes the car wreck. I mean, that's why there's traffic jams when, you know, there is one. Um, and, and that's what you have. Well, you call it a car wreck. Uh, I call it an interesting back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, um, but you said that you you think he'll get a fair trial and and if he is convicted do you believe he should be able to serve as president yes even if it's national security issues well, like, I mean, like once him? again I, I think i've gone on the record if in the mishandling of classified information and the obstruction of justice there were information critical to our national security that could have ended up in the hands of, of unfriendlies that's a different animal I mean, that, yeah, if that's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, then, then I probably do have a different opinion of um, of who should be president. So so when his IT guy who fired the lawyer that, that, that was hired for him changed his testimony and said absolutely that the three – his three co-defendants or the three defendants in Florida absolutely asked him to destroy evidence – what do you take on that? Well, I, mean, I, I don't know. We'll have a trial, and then we'll have a hearing, and we'll have, um, you know, uh, we'll have a defense and a prosecution, and that's the way our, our system works. We'll have 12 jurors, and they'll decide, you know, whether he's guilty of this crime or not. And, and just to be clear, we've never had a president indicted because Nixon resigned. Correct. Right. But Nixon did exactly this thing. Well, I mean, we, we've, we, we've historically allowed impeachment. Is how we've dealt with presidents and 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 they, when when presidents have have issues of transgression, we historically have allowed impeachments to take place and you know decide their political fate and future. I just think it's a terrible precedent. I mean, I, I right. understand the opinions people have of Trump. I just think we're breaking the mold and and we're we're allowing the the criminal prosecution of political behavior. And, so and, and that, 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 that makes me unbelievably nervous, opening Pandora's right. box. But make no mistake, Richard Nixon was threatened with impeachment by the Republicans, and he resigned. But Gerald Ford pardoned him, and that kept him from being indicted. Correct. You see that, right? Yeah, sure, but, I mean, it, it, but it's, it's undeniable. You can bring up – it's undeniable that we've oh, never right. had an American president indicted until now. And we've had four indictments, and I don't. None are treason and bribery. I mean, the Constitution speaks specifically to treason and bribery, 
But but I, it, it, it amazes me that someone like you, despite your never Trump bias, are not concerned that a local prosecutor in Atlanta, Georgia, is indicting a former president on RICO charges. Let me ask you, if Donald Trump did shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, would you have a problem? Well, he'd be guilty of murder. I mean, he'd be guilty of murder. It doesn't matter what I think about that. If a man murders another man, it doesn't make a rat's ass if he's president or not. He's going to be charged with murder. But but we're we're talking RICO. I mean, we're talking overt acts and non-overt acts. And that's just, I mean, that's alarming to me that fellow Americans are okay with that being the precedent to indict an American president for the first time in history. But but you keep saying this local prosecutor crimes when they're committed are are no no I, you, no, no you, you, don't don't he is Fannie Willis a local prosecutor? She is a prosecutor for the state of Georgia. She's a local prosecutor. She's yes. a Fulton County prosecutor. She is Where by definition a local prosecutor. There there is no federal indictment here. Where, where I mean, this is a crime. local crime. It's, it's, it's local in jurisdiction. It's local in Absolutely. prosecution. And, and it, she, Trump's going to appear at a, at, a, at a Fulton County, not a federal courthouse, at a Fulton County courthouse today. Shouldn't, should, if, you're, if you're indicted on a crime, shouldn't you be indicted where you're going to be? Well, I, I would imagine, but I mean, if, if, we, re, if we reduced, if, if the precedent now, thank you, Jeff, appreciate it. If the precedent now is local prosecutors, can go after American presidents, then I mean it, it's it's no holes barred. Everybody's fair game, and 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 when you incorporate that reality with RICO statutes, and RICO statutes were created for organized crime. I'm not sure what they did wrong, but it damn sure looks like they did something. I mean, are we going to reduce the prosecuting of a president to that? That that's I, it, it amazes me. That, that, you know, everybody in America isn't alarmed that that is now the new normal. Take a break. Back in a few. Nikki Haley had a chance until Jeff said he could be for Nikki. <laughs> She's done. <laughs> She's done in our world. Yeah. When, when Jeff says, you know, Nikki Haley made sense to me, you'll see her plummet in the uh, mm, not good in the Republican primary <laughs> polling. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Pat in Florence. Good morning, Pat. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, guys. Great show. Uh, just one quick question, if you have time. We're in Georgia. Why is Donald Trump going to have a um, a mug shot, but Stacey Abrams not? Thank you. Have a good day. I don't think she's been formally charged with a crime. I mean, I know she's denied the, the results of the uh, mm-hmm. 20, that would have been 2020, not 2018. 2018 gubernatorial race. I mean, she's denied those. We did a montage of about four minutes of Big Stacey talking about, you know, what happened <laughs> or didn't happen in um in Georgia. But uh, she's not been formally charged with a crime. Uh, Fannie Willis has decided that Donald Trump is guilty of a crime, but there's compelling evidence. And our grand jury um, spoke, gave a quite a clean bill. Is that what they call it? Um, well, I think they had the indictment prepared and well, they accidentally did. released they it on the website. put it online. Before the grand jury actually Before voted. the grand jury um, but I'm sure it's convened. All the, but, I mean, Trump nothing. will have his day in court. I just hope and pray. And I mean this sincerely. I don't just hope, I hope and pray that they are better prepared to defend themselves in explaining uh, about the 2020 election than they were in, um, in, in the post-2020 election days because they did a lousy job of it. There's a legitimate case to be made 
There's a high degree of speculation to be raised, but they didn't do a good job. And I don't know whose fault that is, City Powell or Rudy Giuliani, uh, you know, but, but, but Trump better have a better team assembled, uh, a better story to tell, a more compelling argument to make, or he's got trouble. And I don't know if he's got legal peril. I mean, I don't know what, the, uh, you know, if he's found guilty of mishandling classified documents and, and to some degree obstructing justice, I mean, what is the punishment there? What is the, the criminal penalty? I, I don't know. Um, convicted of a crime, you know, would you still vote for Trump? I mean, I wrote down uh, this morning, you know, the question last night was not Trump charged with a crime. That's obvious. If he's charged with a crime, people are vote for him. But what if he's convicted of a crime? Does that move the meter one way or another? I don't know. The interesting unknown today for me, the mugshot and independent voters. How does that relate one to another? Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.